Yo, what is up guys? How is it going? Hope you're having a lovely day, afternoon, evening, wherever you're coming at from. And we're here, no joke, on April Fool's Day. We're here for the great best meta debate where I've got three awesome guests of mine, all new to the podcast, which is a nice one to uh, bring in here. And we're going to have a look back at the fever dream that has been Overwatch meta history. So without further ado, let's go from bottom right onwards. So starting with my man, Custa, everyone's going to introduce when they started playing Overwatch. So Custa, what up? Thank you for joining, man. Yo, thanks for having me. Um, when did I start? I think it was late 2015. Like when the beta got announced, I signed up for like everything, like every Reddit contest, every Twitter contest, all that kind of stuff hit, hit up all my friends. And I was actually really fortunate to get in early on in the beta. Um, I was actually in Australia at the time when it came out. And that's when I moved to Canada first. And yeah, I've, 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 I've seen it all. I've seen <laughs> literally every meta that you could imagine. So uh, I got a lot of things to say. Perfect. The historian in, in the call today. <laughs> Coming in next is Bro Uwak, who loves April Fool's Day and is, is having a great day already. Bro Uwak, how you doing? I'm doing great. And I think I started play, it was right after Somber dropped. It was in actually the first free-to-play weekend. That's how I got into Overwatch. And it was right in between season two and three. So the first meta that I got, you know, exposed to was the World of Tank meta. <laughs> that was like we'll, my very first one <laughs> we'll get to that that traumatic experience yeah. not too long into the call and finally to round things off uh, my friend and fellow rank thrower lemon kiwi lemon what up hey, yeah, yeah. i don't know about no, that God, we've lost enough that. games to call it that <laughs> lemon. we've lost enough you've games you've lost with me <laughs> you are part of the l that, that's why um, i said fellow fellow i i, I take uh, okay you know, 30 percent responsibility L's. for it 30 percent okay <laughs> i like forgot when i started overwatch i actually had to pull up my own liquipedia not the flex to just be like when did oh. i even start casting let alone when did i even start playing so 2017 is probably when i started playing and I don't even, I think that that whole year was probably a fever dream because I was casting like scrims and I was casting just people not knowing what to do in tier three, which open division meta is its own little niche bubble. So it was a wild time. That is unreally bougie flexing right there. Imagine just like quick oh, Google, sorry. quick self Google. When did I, when did I even do self that? Google. Just Google <laughs> myself, <laughs> Lemon Kiwi Overwatch pulls it up. Oh yeah. Guys, you can tell Lemon Kiwi when she started playing. If you Google and you look at her like Liquid Pia, you can start telling her it's when she started there. playing. It's all there. That's how you know you made it, is when you can just simply Google yourself and you have at least three credible sources, like a Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel good about only having a Wikipedia, though. It just doesn't feel as legit, but at least there's some record of it. <laughs> the weirdest thing for me is when I open my Liquipedia page and they know all five of my alts, including one that's named Dildo Mum, and I'm like, well, okay, people know too many things about me at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's, there's a limit to it there's a limit to it <laughs> oh yeah and, and people are already bringing up lemon can speak french fluently fluently so Fruit, fruit fluently I, I, can, I can barely speak english fluently but <laughs> you got two under your belt which is nice is that is that no. true or is that fake news oh fun fact yeah that's a that's a fun fact nice okay well we'll expect some meta discussion in french for all my french viewers out there in a minute but let's get right on to it we're going to start from the beginning, all when it began with no hero limit. So for reference, guys, it's gonna, I'm going to try and put in a second a little image that you guys can look up as well that the guests are using as a little timeline. Um, but me and Custa, I think we'll have to take this one. We're going to start all the way back when 
for those you don't know, there were no hero limits, meaning you could pick six of the same hero if you wanted to on one team, which created for some rather wacky shit. So, Custard, do you want to maybe describe to the listeners and the viewers what that was like? So, like, I think we've all played the arcade mode at some point in the last few years where, like, you can stack multiple heroes and that kind of stuff. Like, think about actually mystery heroes. And, you know, you play mystery heroes and the opposition team gets three bastions and you're like, man, this is so overpowered. They just won the lottery. Imagine being able to, like, opt into that kind of strategy and then being able to, like, counter that by playing, like, six Reapers and stuff like that. It really was just the Wild West of picking random heroes. The swaps were crazy. It was chaotic. And it was really fun. Like, as... No game really existed like it other than like Team Fortress 2, but the the smoothness and the fluidity of the gameplay with all the ultimates is just like, it's what made a lot of people fall in love with Overwatch. But at the end of the day, it was just chaos. And uh, there was so many different things. Like at first, like the meta was like 2-2-2, where you'd play like two Reapers, two Lucios, two Winstons, and it is exactly as awful as you think it would be. Um, my One of my favorite metas actually of all time was uh, the original dive where you played two Zenyatas, two Tracers, a Symmetra, and a Lucio. So the reason this strategy worked, and I got to explain all these heroes because they've changed a lot since then, but Zenyatta's orbs only had 150 health, I think, at this point. Maybe had 200 at this point, but uh, the orbs stayed permanently. Once you put an orb on someone, there was no way to remove it from them. Oh. Um, so you would put your healing orb on your Tracer. The Symmetra's job was she had an E ability which would put 50 shields on every character on her team. So she would just give 50 shields to the Tracers. So now all of a sudden you have a 200 health HP Tracer with a permanent healing orb always running around the map. And then the Symmetra, the Lucio, and the two Zens would just hide in a room trying to kill these two raid boss Tracers. And that was essentially a meta. And it was actually really fun, but so many ingenious things like that happened throughout the history of like this no hero limits. I think the real thing that like broke the back of like the developers being like, it's great for strategy is the team envy six diva stall on second point Hanamura. And I don't know if you've seen this clip at any point in your history, but essentially what would happen is everyone would just go diva and you could continuously cycle people coming out of spawn onto the point to the point where they could never actually kill you and you could stall forever. And I think like, how do you stop that from happening? pretty much can't and i think that pretty soon after that hero limits got removed uh sorry added no that was a very good summary of some of the trauma that the early overwatch <laughs> the early pioneers overwatch lived through <laughs> and that is something we're gonna have to keep contextualizing because i know a lot of you guys listening have maybe not been playing since the absolute start so we're going to describe some some stuff and you're gonna be like that was a thing like i cannot even believe that they would have That's a me right now yeah <laughs> believe it or not it's funny that Custa does bring it up because Symmetra not only had like one iteration, she's had like what three iterations of yeah, not only her like ultimate, three. but her ability. It was like a permanent shield that you would give at the beginning uh, of a round, right? And it would just stay the whole entire time until someone dies. And when you describe like Symmetra being meta, it's it's crazy to think that that's even possible. Then you remember it's like, oh well, she did have the E ability. I I did not even think remember that that being a meta at all. And there's and two Nightmare more fuel. Oh, go ahead. Six hearts. And yeah. she was also that it was that, that was and, and that was lock on Symmetra where she, her left click wasn't like oh, a yeah. beam. It was like if you were close to them, it would like kind of like lasso you to it's them and it just did a million damage. Yeah, it was like a, it, it just like lashed onto them and did a million damage. It was it was a weird iteration of Symmetra. <laughs> and, and two other pieces of context I would add to that. One is back then her ultimate was different. Her ultimate was teleporter, so you would put it in one yeah. spawn and it would come out wherever you chose to put it which is incredible for stall because you could just put it behind the point A of something and people are just insta-running back. Yeah. And remember that this is back when Torb had scrap. 
So he would pick up oh, random pieces yes. of scrap <laughs> when someone lemon kiwis again. I know her face is getting shocked. So yeah, initially, do you even remember the scrap? <laughs> I remember, remember the, the scrap. I remember okay. the scrap. So Not remember the TP ult. Yeah, so Symmetra had the TP ult, and she eventually had two ults, which is the shield generator, which we can talk about in a minute. But yeah, yeah. So Torb, every time Torb someone died, they would leave some scrap. Which don't ask what the lore behind that is, what the mechanism behind why every person who died left some pieces of scrap. But Torb could pick up that scrap. And then throw armor packs out. Not like Brig armor packs, oh, which, you know, packs. went off. Yeah. They were literally just these little floating, like a mega health pack, which just float on the ground. And you run over and pick it up, and it would give you that armor. For, what was it, 50, 75 for like... I think it was 50. I, I, But it could have been 75. There were so many broken things back in the day that like was just fun to have. It's kind of like Engineer from Team Fortress 2. I really feel like they just exactly took Engineer right, and yeah. was just like, <laughs> yeah, here you go, Torbjorn. <laughs> Make him a gnome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So if you think like a Brig Pack Tracer is scary now, wait until you had the Symmetra buffed Torb Packed Tracers with the Perma Zen Orb running around everywhere. So that was some severe trauma. Um, I'm guessing that won't chart anywhere on your favorite. I mean, you did say you really had a fond nostalgia for Acosta. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things that like you look back on really fondly. But if you made me play it again today, I'd be like, this is the worst thing ever. But it's like it's kind of like, you know, playing like World of Warcraft classic. You're like, it was so much fun when I was a kid and you play it now and you're like, well, this was awful. Why did I enjoy this at all? That's kind of like how I imagine these things. It's a fun part of history, but I'm glad it's gone. Yeah, I'm glad that we moved away from that. Uh, Lemon and, and Zach, you guys happy that we, we removed No Hero Limit or... You know, we've added hero limits. So it's funny that you say that because it's one of those things where, like, I you don't know what you don't know. So I joined around when they just changed it to where you can only pick one hero per team. And I thought, well, yeah, I mean, that's just that's just Overwatch. Uh, but, it, I mean, as terms of, like, meme purposes, because it's kind of funny in this call, we have a competitive player, someone who specs takes competitive player, and then me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> who's more like, I would describe it as, like, competitive casual. So, you know, the five Winstons. Uh, you think of it as a strat. I think of it just like meme videos of all the Winstons just <laughs> jumping out from the back line and Superman music is playing in the background. And and uh, so that kind of stuff you never got to see anymore. And so that's, I think, when like the fun aspect of Overwatch started to like take a take a drop. Uh, but that's also when I joined. So, I mean, it's it's not crazy to think, but I think that's just a good way of how Overwatch has evolved over the time. Yeah, I, I joined after the hero limit thing, but I think I would throw up everywhere if I had to cast like five tracers. I think that I would just mentally collapse. So I'm glad I came in after all the trauma and we're going into a better place. <laughs> I think so too. I think so too. I think it's it's funny because initially it was one of the things the devs were pretty certain that they didn't want to remove. Like I think on yeah. release they were like, no, it's really integral to the spirit of Overwatch that you can pick whatever you want, whenever you want. And then I guess they saw the six diva stall and they were like, yeah, I don't know about this, yeah, bro. No. <laughs> it's like people used to like applaud people because like there were like a uh, Gosu Gamer Weekly like tournaments happening on the weekends and people used to like applaud like Seagull. I remember had this like Lijang Garden strategy where they just rolled out with three bastions and everyone's like, look at that ingenuity. It's genius. They're so smart. And then it like, it did have that fun aspect of like, you could come out with whatever you wanted. But as you said, it's just, it becomes an impossibility to balance. And eventually it just devolved into chaos where everyone ended up as Tracer, as Lemon Kiwi said. So it had its drawbacks. 
Exactly. And one thing I'm going to honorable mention, I'm going to add, because if you use the exclamation mark meta history command and YouTube, when you watch this later, I'll put a link to the chart later. One thing I'll add that I haven't mentioned yet is the body shot widow meta, which is a brief meta mm. that maybe Costello remember, but there was a time when widow's body shot did 150 damage. So she could yeah. one shot tracers. Um, and just, and Zenyatta's fun and fact. Zenyatta also had 150 health. So she would just like kill everyone instantly with a body shot. So yeah, it was... Another wow. not fun time. <laughs> and that was also at a time too where you can like quick scope with her too. So the charge yes. shot would just be yeah. even faster too. And I, yeah. <laughs> Cassidy so yeah, the way also didn't have fall off damage as well. Fun, fun fact. So a lot of people countered Widow by playing Cassidy and just aiming better than the Widow. It was, it was weird times. Shoot head. Better. Yeah, just aim better. <laughs> and his right click was ridiculous. It's ridiculous now in a way, but it was ridiculous back then too, where you could just like what two right clicks the hog down basically. I want to say it was seventy damage a shot of the right click. So if you hit every single shot, it was like what is that, four hundred and twenty damage. Nice. Uh, so it's like it was, it was pretty good. <laughs> Matt's nice. on stream. You're a brave nice. man, Custer. Brave man. Thank <laughs> <Yeah>. you, <laughs> <Are you> brave. <laughs> Okay, so when we, when we finally, you know, removed ourselves from the trauma and sanity came in and hero limits were implemented, we started to see, you know, a, a lot more different style of comps. So I've got a couple notes here. Uh, let's start talking with the five-man res. So again, for, for some of you who are new, some of you who are new to Overwatch, you may only know Mercy as the, the beloved moth who flies around in Valkyrie form. But originally, her res, her ability, her ultimate was resurrect, and she could resurrect five teammates who've been dead they would all leave souls like they do now and eventually she would swoop in and if how many of her were in the immediate vicinity she would press q and they'd all come back to life and this developed in a meta where basically <laughs> you were told to die at the same time like your team was demand it was demanded that you should all die within the same space of time so they all pumped their ultimate they'd use like the grav dragon genji blade because back then everyone would just stack all their ults at once and then they would wipe five of you and then out of, from nowhere, this was the hide-and-seek meta, as it was called, because the Mercy would be hiding. She'd come flying in. It'd be the job of the Genji to find her. He'd never find her. He'd get flamed all day for it. She'd fly in, <laughs> res five people, and that was it. The whole fight was wasted. So, guys, do you remember fondly the uh, five-man res meta? I know Custa does. I, I just know. He, I want him to talk about it first. <laughs> you want me to go first? Okay. Well, I, I know you're biased towards it, but I do want to know your perspective from a, a, a competitive player, but also a Mercy main at that time. Because you got drafted by the Fuel uh, at, for as a Mercy main, correct? Well, I, I was a flex support, actually. But okay. back then, Mercy was a flex support because Lucio was almost like a must pick in early days of yeah. Overwatch. So the flex oh. support really just sort of played everything. And that's why I, when the Moth Mercy came out, it's like I've been playing Mercy for years at this point. Um, but the best way I describe Hide and Seek Mercy is, you know that uh, that scene from the movie The Shining where you're like hiding in the bathroom and then like the axe <laughs> comes through the window? That axe is a tracer, like looking for you as you're trying to hide in the wall. But like the thing that people don't realize about it as well like in the early days of overwatch the radius was enormous as well like they did nerf it i think later on with the mass res but like you could sit in the spawn of king's row in the third point and just wait in there so it was an easier hide and seek it was literally just a hide and wait um and then your team would die on the cart and then you would just press q and everyone would come up but it got more complicated as they reduced the size of it people are just looking for you hunting there's always that one teammate on your team that's like no i'm just going to try and live through the res instead of dying and then as you res they die so then they don't come back to life and you're just like 
it, it was just it was a weird time because nothing has ever been like that in Overwatch ever since then. And then like some people were really good at hiding. I sucked at hiding. I like playing the game, so uh, it, it was it was a fun time playing Mercy back then. But another one where I'm glad it's come and gone. How dare you want to play the game? And I think people have to remember that it was like an instant res. It's not like Mercy where it's like slowly, it's like yeah. people die, boom, they're back to life like that. It was like this slow motion trauma where you see her like hovering <laughs> angeling in and you're just like, no, don't let her. And then Q, ah, everyone's back. And then even if you did kill her, which happened a lot, like the Mercy would die immediately afterwards, but too late. Job done. Five minutes. The worst was casting it too, because you're like, oh my god, big team fight. You're screaming, but you're getting edged by a hiding mercy because you also don't see where the mercy is hiding. So you're like, oh, is there gonna be a rat? And then you would have a five main res, and you're like, ah, oh, and here we go again. Oh shit! And you're like going back into <laughs> casting. It's it was so bad because you couldn't properly hype up a fight because of that, and it kind of killed actually a lot of it. And I know, at least from a, a from a viewer's perspective, this is when I first heard about like metas and whatnot, and I and I saw pro players like constantly complain about it. In fact, like like I saw every single like fuel member hate on the Mercy Man. I heard XQC and just everyone just hate the fact that skill was basically negated by one single button. Like that was really the I win button back in the day. Yeah, the early immortality. Yeah, yeah, that, that's it, right? Like it was the it was the pain point of the community, right? Like Mercy, like back then, you know, we all like to hate on like yeah, Baptiste now because of the immortality field. That's what it was back then. Is like this Mercy res is like you have to play Mercy because if you just don't have multiple people being res, like you're literally playing like what is it like nine v six at that point. So you have to play Mercy, and the sad reality is when they got rid of the mass res, they 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 introduce something even more cursed which was the mock meta so <laughs> that's why mercy's been meta for just like ever almost yeah and we'll get to the moth meta in a second but i just wanted to mention a couple more honorable things before we get again to the uh the infamous moth meta that i'm sure Custa will have plenty of feelings on so a couple notes that i put down were uh i, I think this is worth explaining the triple dps from rogue and then the triple yeah. quad tank from envious so again a little bit of context and i'm sure Custa can and zach you seem to be quite fond of that period yourself as well but essentially the two dominant western teams rogue and envious uh, rogue were famous for their triple dps style so they had again this is going to sound weird to people now but they had akm on soldier always they had soon on tracer always and then they would have nico flex between genji and diva which is a very bizarre hero pool to have but this was <laughs> what it was it was the flex between genji and diva and then they would have like a winston and a lucio and I think a Zen, uh, maybe Anna's. Is that it, is that it right? Had, it, it went through so many different like iterations of people doing those kind of things. The thing that made Rogue and Envy so strong is that because of how strong Mercy was for all the reasons that we just highlighted, you could actually solo heal as Mercy. So what happened is they had wins on Rogue and there was Harry Hook on Envy and both of them had very good aim for support players compared to, you know, their usual Lucio counterparts. So you would play like soldier cassidy and you just play these like high damage compositions even a symmetra on first point defenses and it was just so much damage that was almost impossible to overcome and it was like really a really interesting thing and then what ended up being the thing way to break it was these triple and quad tanks like uh, you were saying earlier exactly so and i think that's that's one that uh, i remember taimu became very very famous for when he got picked up i think for the apex tournament when he pulled out the roadhog and this is hook 1.0 days, guys. So if uh. you think this is BS hooks now, 
there were some even more BS hooks back then. And so this was like a, a, a real period of time when, again, these two teams were really successful running these kind of comps. And it was really fun, actually, to watch the kind of philosophical conflict. We don't tend to get that a lot these days in Overwatch. You know, we tend to get mostly mirror matches. But back then, you would get this sort of real philosophical combat between one team who thinks that the game should be played this way, another team that should be played this way. So, um, Zach, why don't you? What was your kind of assessment of that of that time of Overwatch? Well, it's kind of like what you said at the beginning, where you uh, and what Custis said, where you can really have a, a wide range of different heroes way before um, Hero Lock, whatever it was called. Where some people can play three Bastions, or some people think that you should play two Tracers, two Zenyatas, whatever the case may be. And then I think slowly over time, it did just evolve into mirror matches, where it was really put on display, like with Goats, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Uh, but that's, I think, what was so fun to see at the highest level is that, like, okay, yeah, these people are good, uh, but they're not just playing one single comp. And what are we best at? And we're going to run with that. And then it got, and then it slowly transferred, transformed into like the Mercy meta, where you have to play around that, and then the Bastion meta, and then whatever else came after that. Let me and I think meta's just, that. Sorry, go ahead. Meta's just became less fun over time. I Sorry. agree with that. <laughs> I, 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 like, that's just me. That's just me. <laughs> no, I agree. <laughs> no, it's partly it is partly the doing of the Overwatch League, and we'll we'll get to that in a second as yeah. well. But Lemon, what was your memories of all of that pre Overwatch League uh, Overwatch? I don't know. I still feel like we without the two two two, everyone just kind of revolved around DPS and it just became so deathmatchy, especially like casting like uh, Contenders China and Korea. Like they just really love running like the four or five DPS, even if they could. So glad the glad I came in after um, the hero limits, but I'm one of the very few people who actually like the also roll loss because in certain regions, it was really hard to just watch, uh, you know, tracers, sombras, far in the air and everyone's DPS and you have one mercy just flying in between everyone. And it was just horrible to keep track of. Well, it's nice to get that caster's perspective on it that, you know, you kind of felt from a <laughs> yeah. viewing perspective it wasn't too great for you. Because I guess tinged with all this, of course, is our personal nostalgia because obviously, you know, we were young and fresh. Playing and, it is a different story, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Overwatch seemed so exciting and titillating at the time. Now we're jaded, old, and bitter. But, you know, I, I certainly <laughs> do think that uh, it was quite it was quite fun for me personally. I, remember, I have a lot of fond memories of kind of like that, yeah, Envious v Rogue. And then they became this... Uh, contest later between like lunatic high and stuff like the west versus the east where it was like you know korea had their own version they you know they were always a favorite that kind of dive style and it kind of became this clash where it came in and it was like can can envious and rogue turn over these guys because uh you know teams like lunatic high were just dominant for a long period of time so yeah i mean custa what did you kind of what did you make of all that period yeah, like that. That's a that's like an interesting point. There's about a year and a half there of like where we've moved past like a lot of like the triple and quad tank, and I think it's really the release of Anna that marks a massive shift in the way that the game was played. Before that, it was like these quad tanks, these high DPS, you know, all those kind of things with the Lucio's ends. When Anna came in, like she sort of changed the game, especially with how her nano boost functioned when it first came out, because the nano boost did the exact same thing it does now, except it didn't give you 300 health. And it gave you, I think, a 50% speed boost. And that is a very important note of the... Think about when you get nanoed. Think about now you can move 50% faster. It might have been 30, but you can move way faster than you usually could. 
So for that reason, that's what created the Beyblade meta, which is on this list here, is what you would do is you would put it on your Reaper, and when he Death Blossomed, and when you Lucio Speed Boosted, he would kind of run at the speed in which you do as a Zen Transcending right now. Yeah, see, Zach's got it with the Reaper mask. It was... <laughs> It, it was something that like you just couldn't do anything about it and people didn't really know the full value of diva matrix at this point yeah you would just like spin around and run at the opposition and you couldn't run away so that was fun it, it was fun for a little bit and fortunately it was only meta for a little bit but then that ended uh entered into the era just after envy beats the korea and that's like the first time a western team has beaten the korean team in korea and also the last time that ever happened we actually transition into the dive meta. And as we know, Korea is significantly better at dive. And especially when you put it on the Genji. So the Nanoblade starts going on the Genjis and you start to see these legends born like Who Are You and Haksaw. Yeah, again, so many, so many little bits to note there. Because again, one thing about the speed boost is you, you, would put, you could put it on the Reaper. And one thing we have to make a note of is that objectively, players were kind of worse back then in the sense that the scale of what the players perform at now is just way better. Like really clunky, awkward stuff was happening in 2017. Yeah. So much so that, you know, like the Reaper just hiding around a corner was like half the strength of a Reaper where it literally, you know, it's such a basic thing now. You would just check a corner, make sure there's not a Reaper just lurking right there. But, you know, they would just sit there. They just sit there and press Death Blossom. And of course, this is when Reaper had souls, not lifesteal. So every time he kills someone, they would yeah. leave a little soul and you pick it up and he heals them instead. So there's all this clunky shit going on. But yeah, you could put the Nana Boost on a Reinhardt and now he could actually catch up to people and actually hit them with the hammer. So this form, like the, that is, a, I think, a, a really significant point to note, the Nana Boost, how that, that kind of enabled all of that, the speed of the Nana Boost, which eventually would go away. But Zach, what did you kind of, did you, do you have, do you enjoy the uh, speedy Nano or do you prefer the health boosted <laughs> Nano? So I think this was like, I, I want to say like literally after that patch came out, because I don't, I didn't play that. That was season two, the Beyblade meta, I want to say. And then it was uh, the World of Tank meta where you had, uh, it was a Reinhardt, Diva, and Azaria, and a Lucian, Ana, and I, it may be like a tank or a DPS, like with the Genji and whatnot. You would throw your Ana grenade on the tanks. You would amp it up with Lucio, because that was when the amp was really powerful. And then it was kind of like a predecessor to the GOATS meta. And uh, it just wasn't like it, 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 that's when you start to see like more like just brawly comps, uh, which I think Lemon really likes, which I don't <laughs> I like being a DPS player, but also just being like a like a 13 year old kid that just wants to see a bunch of kills. Like That was kind of like, OK, I don't like this meta, but then I don't know how they changed it. But I remember like they either nerfed the amp it up or they nerfed the the the, the grenade of Ana. So I don't have fond memories of season three, season two meta, but I do remember that was like my first, first like exposure of like metas at that time. Lemon, how was the Beyblade casting? Great. <laughs> Any meta where there was one ult that could kill six people, big, big fan. And mm. Beyblade was cool because you could make so many spitty top helicopter, any kind of jokes. It was very easy to make references about. And you could probably see the Reaper set up pretty well. He's usually right above. So you have this moment to prepare and then everyone dies. And it was like a cool like Wah! hype moment. It was also amazing to watch. Anything where people are, are clumped up were always my favorite metas and... I, I miss Reaper. I think Reaper, like anything Reaper has always been part of my favorite metas. It's always Reaper Fridays in this house. <laughs> always Reaper Fridays. <laughs> yeah. And I think we'll we'll kind of get to that because I think we're alluding to some, uh, some metas that will come in that will be quite dominant for a while. Like, you know, like Dive, eventually Goats and stuff. But there's a couple more things I want to name check because they deserve their mention. We kind of vaguely mentioned the Ironclad Bastion. 
But uh, Zach, oh, do you want to elaborate on that? Because it yeah, sounds like that so when you came in. Ironclad Bastion, that was when it was either 20 or 30%. Well, uh, Custa and Lemon. And... I think it was even higher than that. I was think it like 40? It was 50, it was like 50 to start with. I think it was 50 or it something was to start 50? with. Okay, so I, basically... I, it, maybe so 40, he basically got up. a he basically got a passive ability which when he was in turret mode he got a 50% damage reduction. So on top of him having armor, he got a damage reduction in the most lethal position that you could be in with a bastion. That was really the first like uh pirate ship a, a pirate ship comp that we saw uh and that was I think the first moment where we really saw a true broken hero where it's just like you can't you lose if you don't have a bastion at least with mercy like you just kill the mercy but you couldn't kill the bastion and it was literally the worst time to play overwatch because it just took one person to break that game and it was not fun at all so uh, yeah. a combination of historians in chat and a bit of googling it's, it it was 50 on the ptr back when they okay. would actually the ptr was the equivalent of the experimental is now or they would give it to us for like a week in the ptr and then decide whether they want to put it in or not it went to 35% live, and then eventually okay. it settled on 20%. Okay, yeah. yeah. It was, uh, like, th I remember just how traumatizing that that was. Like, we talk about trauma, that was th the most traumatizing meta. Even though it was just a short period of time, it was terrible. <laughs> I have, like, a fond memory of, like, I know it was on Dorado third point at some point. I don't know if he got nanoed, I don't know if he was thing, but I remember grabbing a Bastion, being, the like, a whole six team just standing around and wailing on him, and we couldn't kill him. Like, he just, he just didn't die, and that was, like, the moment that I was like, this is just, like... As you said, it's not even like, oh, there's no, like, oh, we're just not playing the right combo. No, it's like, there is no counterplay to what is happening here. He is just stronger than everyone else. And yeah, they, I think it only stayed in the game for about a week or two. Yeah, it was like two weeks or something. It, before it really got heavily, uh, heavy-handed nerfed. Oh, Lemon did warn us that her camera might crash, by the way. So if you're wondering why on screen, I'm now Lemon Kiwi and there's a picture <laughs> of a young anime girl as on where SVB formerly was. That's entirely intentional. So that's that's our true selves now. So I was gonna ask Lemon's take. I don't know if Lemon is still in the call. Can you still hear us, Lemon? I think she's definitely. Yeah. Okay. So we'll wait for Lemon to come back. But yeah, I, that was that was a bit of nightmare fuel. I think the Ironclad Bastion. I think. Let me see here. So uh, February twenty eighth, it was put in, and then third of March they reversed. So it was like a week, basically. Yeah. A, a hellish week where. Only Bastion and, and Custa has six teammates wailing on the one guy who won't die. This, without immortality, <laughs> this is so. And it was all an effort. It was all an effort just to try to make him better. Like, that's the point yeah. of, like, these, like, there was some, like, big, rash, like, irrational buffs at the beginning. Uh, whether it was, like, with Mercy, or with a nerf, or a buff with Bastion. He's, I mean, still one of the worst heroes, but they tried to make him good. And they achieved that, but they just do a little bit too much. And, uh, you know. What? Do you guys remember when he had a shield? Oh, wait, did either of I you did. play was, at the that time was, no, when he had no, a shield? That was before the what? launch, pre-launch. I know, I yeah. know of it, but I never faced the terror. Was yeah. he good with the shield, or was he like still? It was just more oppressive in the fact that, so for people that don't understand, when you were in sentry form, you had a shield kind of like Brig has when she's like holding right click. So Bastion just had that in sentry form. So you had to get through like a 200 health shield before you could even shoot the Bastion. And it was like... It, Bastion still wasn't that good because it was so immobile, but people were so bad at the game as well that it was like yeah. he would just sit in a corner and no one could kill him. So it, it was weird times. 
Do you guys remember when everyone thought Genji countered Bastion like really hard? Because like back yeah. then people wouldn't stop shooting the Bastion if he just like the Bastion just wouldn't stop. He'd get in center and just hold left click or the console equivalent. And that, back then everyone was the like, just pick Genji. <laughs> that's the first counter that I got taught. Like, because Bastion's a popular hero for new character for new players, because you just shoot and you kill things. So, okay, counter, deflect, you kill the Bastion and you win. So that's really like, it's funny that you bring that up because like I thought he was a counter for Bastion, <laughs> but it's because I don't see Bastion at all. So I never have to think what counters the Bastion. No, but it was genuinely what the entire yeah. community settled on. Like for a while, they were just like, if they have Bastion, you have to pick Genji, stand in his face and press E. And then he'll, he'll never <laughs> think to stop shooting. Like it just won't occur to him <laughs> to, and, and to stop works. shooting. <laughs> Lemon, and you're when back. They did stop shooting, you were like, well, oh shit. <laughs> what do I do now? I didn't think this far ahead. <laughs> Lemon, what did you make of the, uh, what we were talking about? We were talking about the Ironclad oh, Bastion. I don't even remember that, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take a pass. I don't. I, I might have, I might have just like bleached my brain from whatever that was. The lucky ones, <laughs> perhaps for the best. Perhaps for the best. Um, I noted down as well quickly the shield generator. So again, just for anyone who wasn't familiar, this is when they again. In, they, there's it's interesting to think about this. There's a couple heroes that have clearly always been problematic. Bastion being one that they could never get right. Symmetra is another one. We mentioned that you know she's gone through many iterations. One of those was they gave her two ultimates. Such the only again the only time they've ever mm -hmm. done that in Overwatch, it was a choice of two ultimates. You either have your normal teleporter, which was it one end sits in spawn, the other end sits wherever you want, which people would use this to grief other people by putting it at the edge of the map. So that immediately that you <laughs> press it out of spawn, off the map you go, no chance to respond. You just, you know, and then everybody six times report the Symmetra. Um, yeah. And then they gave her the choice of a shield generator. And this would work in the same way where you could place one end of it wherever you wanted. And in a huge radius, without LOS considerations, everyone on your team would get, what was it, 50? 75 armor? I think it was 75. 75 shields, uh, shields. sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it was so oppressive. Sorry, sorry to jump in. But no, you go like, ahead. Let me describe to you, like, let me set you a thought picture here of you're attacking first point Hollywood, right? And then all of a sudden the Symmetra gets a shield generator and she puts it in that back pit of the first point of Hollywood. Mm. So now the defensive team all has 75 shields permanently until you can kill the shield generator. The shield generator has like 500 health. So the tracer can't pulse bomb it either. So your entire team just has to bum rush this shield generator. And the entire team is just between you and that shield generator and that's it and then the worst thing on top of that is that people would play torbjorn with the scrap armor pack string mm. this time as well so you would have 75 shields 75 armor and then nobody was killable at that point and like it was almost like a gg at that point that you just lost the fight so uh it lost the map so it, it it had some interesting things that was another one that didn't last very long i think it was only about six months that shield generator lasted in the game yeah, I think back then, you've heard of eco pushes now. I think back then it was an eco push to like solo Dragon Blade, the, the shield generator. Like that was a thing <laughs> you would do. Where it's like send the Genji, have him blade it or something. And now we can actually play Overwatch. So uh, Lemon, I'm going to take it to you. Do you remember shield generator Symmetra and armor packing Torbs? Yeah, it was really bad to watch, especially on assault maps, where I felt like the point B defensive spawn was just so deep. Like, I'm just remembering where you'd have Volsky stick a shield generator just so far deep in there, and as the offense, you're just scrounging to get to, like, so deep into Volskaya B just to get that stupid shield generator, and... I remember it having, like, a decent amount of health, too. I don't know if I'm misremembering, so it's not it like you could just... A lot. 
you can't you can't just send like a tracer to go deal with it or at least it wasn't easy so it was very unfun just particularly for assault but i don't remember it being super horrible for other game types but that was a long time ago <laughs> yeah well you didn't have reliable places to put it on like payload and King yeah. of the Hill, right because it you know the fight was much more fluid but yeah zach what did you make of all that I I I remember her having a shield generate. I don't remember it being so oppressive. Maybe it's because like just people didn't. Uh, Symmetra was still seen as a terrible hero at this, a terrible support hero at this time, and just I, I don't remember too much about it actually. It's good to mention though that there was she was a support hero. Actually, I actually blanked yeah. that she was once. A, I mean, this is back when there was no Rolox, so it really didn't matter where she was categorized. Oh yeah, that's true. But. uh yeah, she was a support. And this is back when you get all those obnoxious messages like, not enough healers or not enough snipers. Yeah. <laughs> not enough damage. You're like, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> exactly. So that was one thing. And another thing I noted down, which I think was another really oppressive on Assault, maybe not so present elsewhere, was the Sombra health pack healing and ult charge giving. So again, this is when Sombra was released, on release for those of you guys who don't know. When she hacked a health pack, if a teammate took that health pack, it would give Sombra the equivalent art charge of whatever she healed. So this generated in a meta where essentially you take a fight. This is really dominant on Anubis. I remember very vividly Temple of Anubis was defined and Volsky as well was defined by Sombra would hack the mega under the bridge. You take a fight. Everybody makes sure they don't heal. They don't let the other healer heal it. There was usually one healer that you'd play. You don't let that <laughs> healer heal it. You run down to the bridge. You all take turns. You all huddle around it like a campfire. You take turns grabbing that mega. Somewhere would get EMP. You fly in, EMP, kill them. All the poke damage you took, you run back to the bridge. You sit and you all take turns on the health pack. Somewhere was like 80% to her next EMP already. And this was just the misery which was inflicted upon you every time you played. And this was really dominant at the pro level. I remember that. So, Custer, what was, what was your memories of it? Yeah, so I actually remember this pretty heavily because um, this is like in the dead zone of 2017 where like no tournaments really happened. Um, and there was one tournament. I actually played with Arc 6, which is actually a funny team because it's like XQC, Dante, Space, myself, Ginger Pop, and ZZA. And it was this thing. I like, I literally made an alt account to learn how to play Sombra because it was the flex supports that ended up picking up the Sombra. You would play a solo here, Lucio, and the flex support on second point Anubis would hack that mega pack and you would literally have sombra uh, emp almost every fight and it was like a never-ending cycle and it was another one of those things that you're just like this is so stupid because we can't ever enter so it was one of those metas where it's like nobody's shooting at each other intentionally except for the sombra because no one wants to give the other team like emp so it was just a never-ending cycle of going back and forth on that zach what was your do you remember much of that this is exactly when I joined, like, Summer was my first hero, and so I was still, like, roughly, like, a level 50, so I was still learning the game. Uh, Sombra, I don't remember her being so oppressive, because people at the lower ranks just didn't understand how important EMP was, but looking at it now, yeah, EMP is, like, one of the closest we win button like press it's like you win even still now uh emp's i think still one of the better ultimates to use but to just farm it on a single health pack yeah that's like what custis said it's not fun you're not you're huddled in a campfire not going out and winning and shooting each other yeah it's funny that you mentioned that a lot of the you know the metal ranks didn't really catch on because i remember another <laughs> vivid community event was my man frito shout out to frito he released a video from your watch called sombra is a support 
And I remember this became like yeah. a complete <laughs> event in the community where people were like, what is this man talking about? He's, he's an absolute idiot. He does not understand. Samra is clearly not a support. She's categorized as damage. Of course, <laughs> it, it essentially was her function. She was just there to heal you and, you know, win fights. But I remember that being a thing. But Lemon, what was that like for you? I think it was great as a support player. Like if your flex support or any other support is ignoring you, then you just go mm. grab a health pack. And I felt like it was like a team effort of just the Sombra would hack it and it was a good mega and everyone just like parties around the health pack and helps the Sombra and then she would help you by EMPing and killing stuff. So as a support player at the time, I was I was stoked for that. But I don't know if it was strong, but it was I liked it that it was giving ult charge. You were vibing. You were enjoying. I was it. vibing. I'm helping I actually... the team by by taking damage and feeding, and then giving her ult charge. It was great. Yeah, maybe we need that again. No, I actually I have fond memories <laughs> of Wells because it, it was interesting in a way. It just became so obnoxiously oppressive that it you know there were like again certain maps that was it. So I think it, it was an interesting idea, but perhaps just went a little bit far. Um. Okay. So let's fast forward. We talked about Summer getting released as a hero. Now, who remembers when Doomfist got released? And his hitboxes were, I mean, if you think his hitboxes are bad now, they were even a bit more nutty back then. And that was when his punch was the size of Jupiter. And, you, you know, if you were caught in the vague vicinity, you were gonzo. Custa, I can see you're kind of already smiling it, about it, it. It was funny because, like, he was such a bad hero on release because of his hitbox being so big. But also, like, think about all the things of, like, why Doomfist is so oppressive in your brain now. No one knew how to do that back when it first came out. So everyone was just like, their way of thinking they could get kills is just punching from in front of you, which we all know is like a death sentence now. So that's still what I do. Yeah, same. <laughs> and it just, for some reason, it never works for me like the other people. Um, but it's just like, it's one of those things that just, it was such a high skill capped hero and it still is to this day that it was just so bad when it first came out. So people were like, oh, this hero is trash. The ultimate's the worst ultimate in the game, all that kind of stuff. So we didn't actually see a lot of Doomfist for, I would say about a year after he got released. There was like, obviously some annoying moments where he's just, as you said, punching you from Narnia, but it was like, it wasn't that oppressive as we see him well, today. There was like a very brief period. I think it was like a week. Cause I remember there was, he came out and he was really bad. And then they tweaked his hitbox a little bit. And then effect, I remember on the Dallas Fuel, just like was making him look super broken. And then they did something again. I, I'm, I only have vague memories of this, but I think they like tweaked his hitboxes back and forth a little bit. And then, yeah, he just immediately went out the meta. But it was one of those moments where, yeah, for a second people were like, whoa, what is this thing? And then it was no longer a thing, much like our friend Lemon Kiwi. Hey guys, SCB here. Just going to quickly interrupt this episode of the Group Up Podcast to say that if you're enjoying this content, then please do consider signing up for my Patreon to support me directly. It's really amazing because it allows me to keep making content like this carefree, regardless of how many views Overwatch does or doesn't get. I know no one likes sellout ads, but chances are if you've listened till this far in, then you're at least somewhat enjoying the content. So please do consider at least leaving a like, a subscribe, and a comment underneath the video on YouTube. It really does help. But that's it for me. Now back to the discussion. <laughs> it's funny that you bring that up, Custa, because like I think I, I try to remember that time period. And yeah, like Doomfist is such like a high skill cap hero. There was nobody was doing diagonals. Car Q hadn't made his video talking about <laughs> the best like spots of where to like diag, and then like, there was no rollout spots yet. So yeah, everyone was just punching and and just trying to do their best. And then uh, I yeah like. It's weird to think that at one point Doomfist was terrible, but then again, like just over over the time periods, he gets nerfed, people adapt, and then he becomes broken. He gets nerfed, people adapt, he becomes broken again. So Doomfist has always been just 
I, I never liked Doomfist just for that reason, is that he always finds his way back into the meta. And yeah. in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, nobody's well, getting Doomfist one tricks in, no. your, in your ranked games yeah. that are just like running yeah. you down. So at least we can all agree that it's Karku's fault that Doomfist is good yeah, now. Exactly. So, yeah. Something yeah, to take we out. We all agree. We all hate Karku. That's how it is. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean it, it again just goes to show you how we how much we've evolved and how much we've sort of perfected certain elements of the game. Um, but a couple more points that I noted was double sniper, and I think that goes in harmony with pirate ship as well. Because I think this was around the time Junkertown releases, and suddenly people realize we could just put a Bastion on the card. And this is with the re original Orisa shield HP. Uh, we could just sit like Orisa on top. Yeah, it was pretty bad, and it was like it was like hundred percent time. Yeah, it, I think was it was something crazy. stupid high. Um, yeah, I remember watching an Orisa thing because the thing that I forget about it as well is that I watched a video recently of. Uh, the Orisa pull is enormous. Like it's it's about a uh, it's about a third less than what it once was. So you could just pull people from forever. And yeah, as you said, this really became the beginning of bunker comps, right? You know, where right. you just stand behind shields. Double snipers become prominent, and then if you're a support, you don't play the game anymore, and you just hope your Widowmaker is better than the other one, right? So, not my favorite meta. Yeah, I'm just looking through some of her patch notes. So they when they released when Orisa released, she wasn't really played. No one really liked her. They were like, why would we pick this hero? And they started like, this is when the terms power creep really became a thing because they were kind of slowly buffing her, trying to encourage people to play her. So they, I can just see here, they're like, we're going to reduce the cooldown from 12 to 8 seconds. We're going to make the barrier a little bit bigger. We're going to give Orisa a faster projectile speed. This, that, the other, blah, blah, blah. Oh, and yes, yeah, so it, was, it was a 900 barrier on an 8 second cooldown. So do with that what you will, essentially. And a gigantic halt as well. So... There was the pirate ship, and then of course it turned into double sniper as well with like the Hanzo Widow. I remember that vividly on Junkertown a lot where people were kind of running this back when Havana wasn't a thing. Yeah. Zach, Zach yeah, did you do? Oh, go ahead, Custa, go ahead. No, no, no. Zach, do you want to go? I, I, I don't remember double sniper. I, I didn't even know that was a thing. Maybe again, just because like a diamond and masters and around that rank, like it's just, you know, but I do vividly remember pirate ship and like Orisa, like, like, creeping into the meta just because of somebody else like that always happens with orissa orissa herself is never like it, from what i've seen meta herself just by herself it's always because of bastion because of roadhog because of batiste because of just somebody else and um yeah like when she first came out nobody picked her over reinhardt or or dive with like i don't know if dive was still meta around this time but just yeah she was not a good hero until of somebody else and that always happens throughout the whole entire years of Orisa. Poor Orisa, never, never the, uh, no. <laughs> always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Is that, the, is that the saying? She's always kind of there to make someone else's day. Exactly. You just sit there, shield on cooldown, holding left, left click. Um, any, anything else? To, any more memories of that custom before we move on? Lemon Kiwi, by the way, for those who are listening to this later, she's, you know, RIP momentarily. We'll bring her back later. As I said, I think this, like, 2017 was a really weird uh, era because, especially for me, because, like, I've been very heavily competitive-sided for so long, is that in 2017, there was about a six-month or, like, a nine-month period where after the first few months of 2017, 
Blizzard cut off a lot of tournaments until the end of 2017 when Contender Season Zero happened. So there was this like big break of like actual competition. So the only thing I really remember at this time is dying to Raksu with Scatter Arrow over and over and over again in ranked because that's like really all I really did. And that's like, that's another thing that like doesn't really get talked about. Like Hanzo Scatter Arrow, yeah. as much as it was very niche, it was so oppressive and so annoying to play against. And like Arisa was one of those characters that, you know, I think... Riss is just not fun to play, and that's why no one really played her, and that's why they kept buffing her, because, like, you know, am I going to play the jumping monkey or am I going to play the horse that sits behind a shield, like, super far away from the team, right? It's just, it was just kind of an awkward time. Yeah, honorable shout-out to the Scatter Arrow. So, again, if you think Storm Arrow is bad... I mean, I, I'm actually not sure anymore what's worse, Storm Arrow or Scatter Arrow, but back then, Scatter Arrow... It, it, Scatter Arrow. It, it, Scatter Arrow was <laughs> yeah. It, it took no skill. It was random. You can get double. Have you seen Storm Arrow, kills. Zach? <laughs> no, I, ha I have. You actually have to like. It's not just just random. It's not like no, no, I, 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 I have. A, I have a hatred for Hanzo because of Scatter Arrow. So that's why I'll, I'll die on this uh, on this hill. Saying Scatter Arrow takes less skill and is way 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 worse than Storm Arrow. I know Storm Arrow's bad. I get it. But Scatter Arrows, by far, the worst ability in in all of Overwatch, I think, the worst ability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm being a little bit facetious because I, I have a little bit of pet peeve for Hanzo. But yeah, you could just kind of aim it roughly at the floor of an Orisa, dead, dead Orisa, just like scatter beneath her feet, scatter, and then that's gone. <laughs> Lemon, are you back? Can you hear us? No. Well, I can see her mouthing no, but... <laughs> maybe she can maybe we could play charades where lemon kind of tells yeah. us how she feels about stuff and we'll try and interpret what she's what she's thinking yay or nay yes she can <laughs> hear us so. uh, lemon lemon thoughts on pirate ship no oh, yeah, mega yeah, down yeah. mega yeah. down okay thoughts so. on scatter arrow do you like scatter arrow yeah, yeah, yeah I, don't. No, I don't think there's a All person right. alive who likes scatter arrow to be fair Maybe Raxu, Raxu. Maybe Raxu. Yeah. So. <laughs> he literally like, left after after Skatero disappeared and everyone started playing Hanzo when Stormare, he literally just stopped playing the game. It's like, wow, he died with Skatero. I respect it. So Okay. Yeah. I picked the right mic this time. Yeah, all that Yay. shit. <laughs> but but it's okay. funny that you bring that up because of like that time period. Like it's basically in between like Apex and all the tournaments and then the actual Overwatch League season yeah. and how the Overwatch League players like the top of the top really didn't have like that big of a single influence of a meta at the time like it was just random like like pirate ship or devil or sniper or whatever it worked and it wasn't until like the first season when we started to see more single metas take over like there i feel like there was multiple in a given time period because there wasn't the influence of the overwatch league just yet it's it's kind of like competitive is always like the highest level of competitive, less so in 2017, but like ranked is always, or at least in the rank that I've played, it has always followed very heavily of what's being played in the competitive scene. Obviously way yeah. more in Overwatch League. Like we've had a six month break here right now like right, in the overwatch league i don't know about your rank games but it's just chaos at this point i don't know if roadhog's meta is genji's meta doomfist is meta chaos, yeah. but i see a lot of it of everything and then people are just sort of like giving up on the metas and that's always happened throughout the time where when there's been less competitive things happening ranked has just gotten more chaotic in general yeah yeah it's, it's like a bane and a curse i think this is true of all esports right like when there is an esport people will tend to follow what's being done I think perhaps the problem Overwatch, Overwatch has, perhaps singularly, is that it's something that prides itself so much, at least in theory, on diversity. And yet the very nature of Overwatch League kind of mandates that you, you kind of 
hard lock something. And I was trying to have a conversation about this with my chat the other day where it's like, there's no really, the way that Overwatch works is not really a reward for pioneering your own meta. And this is a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's relevant, which is that, you know, let's say there's a dominant meta. Again, I think this, this is most prominent in GOATS and we'll talk about in a minute, but let's say there's a really dominant meta and you can spend two months practicing GOATS, right? Or you can spend two months searching for this new comp. In that time, you're just going to take L after L after L, right? Because you're trying new things. You're like, well, maybe this works. Maybe this works. Maybe this. You're all this time. You're just taking L's. You're losing. So if there's Overwatch League going on, say goodbye to your season. But <laughs> on top of that, you're not really perfecting anything. You're just trying stuff. Maybe one of those comps, had you perfected it, would have been able to beat GOATS. But you don't know because you're experimenting. You're looking for this new thing. Let's say you find it after two months of hard work. You're like, okay, we found a thing that beats GOATS. What happens? Well, for like two weeks, you get to beat everyone who's playing GOATS, after which everyone copies what you did. And now it's back to the same state where everyone's going to start honing that one comp. They're going to keep running that one comp everywhere. And your reward for months of toil will be like a much smaller period where you're the only team who knew this one comp. Because it's very easy to just play that same comp in Overwatch. And so it's funny they say that. I I think I think a team didn't Custa didn't the hunters do this with ball when goats was like really prominent and they were the only team that like had some variation in their in their comp at that time. Yeah, and it, it's actually I think there's two great examples to look at from that 2019 season because goats is the most prominent example as you said. The Chengdu hunters were a team that when they had Among, his wrecking ball was it's kind yeah. of like a cheese and it did catch a couple of teams off, but eventually it just stopped working and they had a terrible season throughout like the entirety of it. But on the other hand, we have the Shanghai Dragons in the exact same season who were like we're not very good at goats. Let's play our own Farah comp. They played it with Ding on that Farah. They played it with the Mercy. And they actually went on to win the stage three with just like some mm. ridiculous play. And that's like the cost benefit of the two things. Like one team completely botched a season. One team won a stage and like beat the San Francisco Shock. But the problem is, is that you never know what that answer is. As you said, a lot of teams, especially during GOATS, tried to adapt and alter and try all these different things. And it generally meant they came up short because you're better off just playing the same thing and perfecting it like everyone else and believing in your own ability than trying to find something new. Are we, are we going to be skipping over the other metas or are we going to go straight into GOATS? Because I'm sure that's like the most popular <laughs> meta that every single person <laughs> has experienced at one point that broke overwatch as a whole but i don't want to get too ahead of like no, <laughs> your no, schedule we'll, we'll we'll definitely get to it i want to quickly get yeah, lemon, yeah. Thoughts, lemon from you know from yeah. your pov what was what was uh what do you make of just the general pro levels influence on on metas and, and how you read what we just kind of discussed i think there's just so many different like meta clients like open division plays different than trials that plays different than contenders that plays different than owl and then the regions all have their own style of like i'd go and cast korea and it'd be like zarya doomfist dive and i cast na and we're stuck on double shield for years even when it gets you know bad so it's I think everyone that has sort of played to their preference and their comforts a lot when it comes, at least in contenders, because it's a little bit like, oh, we might not have the skill to to execute like a Doomfist Zarya dive. So then the skill level really plays into what metas are popular in certain like competitive areas of the world. So I think the pros definitely maybe like invent the best meta and the contenders tries to copy it a lot. But sometimes they can't pull it off. So then they do their own thing, which is usually the safest, the less risk as possible, which has been unfortunately double shield a lot. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. And again, while we're tangenting, I think it's a good 
proponent for why region like splitting the regions is helpful. So I think this was something that was happening in Owl for a bit as well, where when you had all the Korean talent playing in NA as well, we kind of didn't see a lot of meta diversity. Whereas now that the regions are separate and they only meet for like a periodic tournament, we still see that kind of, you know, Korea will play their dive, you know, NA might play something else. And then we kind of get to see them come together and fight it out. Um, is that something you've kind of experienced, Custa? Yeah, well, like, absolutely. Like, I think that's when, the, especially during 2018 and 2019, I think that's when we hit our most stagnant. And that is exactly the reason you said of in Overwatch League, literally the 20 best, uh, 12 to 20 best teams in the world were all playing and scrimming each other. So everyone came to the same conclusion. But because we're all scrimming and practicing in different regions, like even right now, if you look at the ranked leaderboards of the Asian region, the tanks are all Winston and Zaya. But if you look at the North American one, it's all Wrecking Ball and Sigma. And that's because they we play very, very different styles right now. And I think this, well, I guess we're going into Overwatch 2. It would have been very interesting to see what would have come out on top over time if the two regions hadn't met. Would Double Bubble have been stronger or would the slower star that you know the West likes to play or Brawl have sort of taken the cake in this matter? Yeah, Zach, any any sort of thoughts on that before we do move on to some of the other metas that came just before GOATS? I, I guess I don't have a, a good enough opinion to talk about, like, pro-influence, because at this time, I didn't really, like, see a lot of it too much. I mean, as terms of a viewer, yeah, I guess a more competitive, casual person, I would look for, like, the pros as uh, their influence on what would be good to play and then just go based off of that. And then uh, when that doesn't happen, then it's like, okay, then we're just going to play whatever we want to play. Then. <laughs> it's like, if we're not going to follow a strict meta, then just play whatever you want to play. So, And that, yeah. that is relevant to mention, which, you know, we're talking about metas. Of course, the higher you go, the more entrenched it becomes, right? For the majority of this, you know, we're, that's why I, I like name checking stuff like the shield generator. Because even if that never really made it to a dominant sphere at the pro level, I, I can tell you it ruined a lot of ladder games and especially in the, you know, in the metal ranks and stuff. So it is relevant to mention that, you know, maybe not all, all of you experienced a lot of these metas in your games per se. You might experience something completely different where some broken thing just dominated. And speaking of uh, broken things, I want to quickly shout out the damage boost on the Hanzo Dragon. That was a meta for a while, which was, again, for those who don't know, Mercy could damage boost to Hanzo while he was ulting. And this resulted in I the grab dragon boost. Yeah, it was it was a whole meta for a while, I think, at the Overwatch League level where you pick Hanzo, you pick Zarya, grab dragon, mercy right clicks, and now transcendence is useless. Um, yep. It was the good times. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was it was one of those times where it's just like it was it was one of those like checkmate cards where it's like these days, like there was all these like there's always like counterplay, there's always something else you can do to deal with it. But like, especially like divas weren't as good at eating dragons as they are now. But like it's just like it was just you 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 couldn't do anything about it. If you got caught in the grab, it was over. And uh yeah, one of those very, very oppressive times. It was it yeah. was a tough casting meta too. I know I'm always on the casting grab, but it was it translates also to how fun it is to watch when how fun is it to cast is at least the comparison I like to make. And yeah. it was tough because back then I was still learning how to cast, and it was like you'd have these grab dragons happen every single time, and you're like, well, how hype am I supposed to get? Is this exciting that I've had the fifth grab dragon of this map? Like at this point, do we give a shit? And it's the, it was a weird time because then you could tell the cast got bored viewers got bored of like the same fights it's like this team had it they move five feet forward then all the other team have it now we have a hold and it was i guess it kind of plays the same as like goats of like okay we throw grab we win fight and yeah it was kind of like 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And then one of the few occasions where the dev stepped in and nerfed one very particular interaction, which was that, you know, now Mercy can no longer damage boost to Hanzo Dragon, which is, yeah, that's why. If you ever wonder why, why is that a thing? Well, this is why. Uh, okay, another another couple uh, things to check off. Hackfist, the famous, I think, World Cup Canada strat where they were running Sombra Doomfist. Lemon, you might remember this more vividly than others. <laughs> I don't want to remember Team Canada. I'm sorry. Can, we, <laughs> can I go next question, please? <laughs> no comment. Okay. You remember was... when XQC skipped out on Team Canada matches to go and play Overwatch 2? Team Canada remembers. There's a lot of bad memories <laughs> just around Team Canada, but that was actually after, I think, the hack phase. I'm not sure, but yeah, we don't talk about that. Okay, I, I, I will. I will promptly skip forward. <laughs> yeah, it's from, okay. You can keep going. This is like therapy. From the hackfist to uh, the one tank. This is again when Wrecking Ball it gets introduced to the game. We start to see a lot of one tank, three DPS. I mean, we saw a lot of three DPS one tanks, anyways. But I think doubly so with Wrecking Ball. Uh, you start to see a lot of Wrecking Ball as your one tank, if you can even call him that, and then everyone just piss off across the map, kind of thing. Uh, any thoughts that on that? Lucio Moira? Like, I'm trying to remember who the supports were in that triple DPS. Like, I don't remember it too I don't, much. I don't remember that one either. I can't remember. I feel like it was Mercy Zen, but I could be wrong. It could be. It, yeah. To be fair, Lucio was so dominant for so long. Again, for those who now, you might be like, Lucio, throw a pick. But for the what, first three years of Overwatch, Lucio was a literal must pick. Like, you had to have a Lucio specialist. It was just a must pick. Yeah, it, there wasn't like a lot of depth in the support lineup. So, and Lucio's utility of the speed and the fact that it used to like, think about how big your speed boost or and healing warrior is now. It used to be literally double that, I'm pretty sure. Like it was just enormous. So you could just do whatever you wanted. Um, and like, that's that's how Lucio was played. Um, and yeah, like I would just assume it would be Lucio. There was like so many like, we think back and it was like, oh yeah, Lucio Mercy comps and Lucio Zen comps. And you think back, and if you think about it now, you're like, that is such a throw. But that's how it was back in the day because a lot of these characters were a lot more oppressive than they are now. Yeah, and of course we didn't really have mass healing back then. I mean, even when Ana's release, her nade is the only yeah. form of like mass AOE healing. Obviously Lucio Amp as well. But again, that, it's not that much and he has to sacrifice speed for it. It's only later that we get the Moira and the Bap. And now we're getting, you know, and Brig, a lot of mass healing. So that's when you would, you know, before then you wouldn't, I guess we just weren't used to that much amounts of healing, right? You kind of dealt with one single target orb and a mercy beam. And that was kind of like, that was your healing. So it's interesting to know, like you said, like original dive was Zen Lucio. And it's like, now you'd be like, that's, does that not feel a bit weak, guys? <laughs> <laughs> Are we sure about this? Are we absolutely the sure? Like, Winston's like, I don't feel like I'm getting healed here. And you're just like, it's because you're not. <laughs> exactly. Okay, well, let's move on then to uh, perhaps Zach's favorite here that Zach has been dying to talk about. And I think what will probably deserve the most time on this podcast, rightly so, the most singularly dominant meta ever in Overwatch, GOATS. Zach, goats. goats, give me your thoughts. So, uh, goats first started off from either Runaways or I think they popularized it, and then they, it was like from a team actually called Goats, and it was basically three tanks, three supports. You had a uh, Reinhardt, Diva, Zarya, and Zenyatta, Lucio, and Brigida. There was really no variation. Maybe Zenyatta for Mora, uh, if I do remember. Well, but that, what was that? Sorry, I was just gonna say the original was Moira. It's only when they started mirroring that they they switched the Moira out for Zen. If I'm not if I'm remembering correctly, because if you were facing facing a non goats team, you needed the mass heal of the Moira. 
And then when she when everyone mirrored it, they switched the Moira for the Zen, if I remember. Yeah, it, either way, you had seven heroes that you had to play. And that's frustrating when somebody else does it because you, you your whole team needs to do it. And that base either way, it pushed out DPS players just out, out of the way. And I think the roughest part about this meta is it lasted so long. Like you look at some of these metas, you don't even remember, like I don't remember Double Shield, Pirate Ship, like it's still popular, but it's not like as oppressive. Goats was a full like year. It took over the whole entire, was it the second season custom Lemon? Like third season, I don't whatever the shock one, I think it was their first. And it just, everyone hated it. Like people, I'm surprised at how many people think of it so fondly now. I went to the first uh, opening day of the second Overwatch League, so it was the second season, and people were like booing when when they saw goats. People hated this meta, so that's why I'm like, Overwatch players look so fondly through rose tinted glasses at metas that they don't even remember how terrible they really were. And goats is a prime example of like this was. This this was the lowest of lows of Overwatch. Like people were like Shroud, where Deeming Goats was like a terrible meta, it, it, and it was all just due to one one hero too. It was literally right after Brig got added, and then it's like all, all everything just fell after that. I'm gonna I'm gonna let Lemon take it because I know Custer's gonna have yeah. a lot of thoughts about Goats. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> you guys, you I'm gonna take it to I'm gonna take it to Lemon. I'm gonna need first. some minutes sometimes. I, I feel like I was like primed a bit for Goats because like right before like Goats hit contenders, there was four tank to support, and it was like last night's the leftovers or some shit or a bye week. Like one of those like teams just like came up with it, or I don't know. That was like the first time I saw it. It was four tanks. Two supports and it was horrible because nothing died. Yes. But then when we went into goats, um, I really liked certain versions. I liked that there were so many kind of cute little variations. It was like the snotes with the the may or whatever the fuck, and then there was like the the somber goats, the soats, and then there was that variation. They were all like I liked the the somber goats the most for sure because of that. You know, there was a win condition, like there was a guaranteed fight win if you had that EMP. Basically, you just had to have a brain cell to do it. And then if people ran on a goats. That's where I thought at least it gave us more hype options because then you could nano the Rhine, you could bio, if you could bio the team and fuck over the D.Va and the Rhine, then that was a fight win. So Ana kind of gave more layers of win conditions, but um, sometimes people wouldn't run Ana because she's, you know, I don't know. There was the, there were some people that liked it, some people that didn't. Um, but yeah, when people didn't run Ana, then it was just the grab and then maybe a self-destruct. Barely any shatters were really going through, but sometimes those were cool. But casting viewer wise, it was great to watch because it was very easy to watch. You had 12 people collide in one little thing and it took like a good, a good type of caster to be able to really break down the micro things that were happening within that giant clump. So I know the color casters liked it, although the not so good color casters really struggled if you weren't able to identify those micro things, you were really just casting the same thing. And that's when I think it really did get monotonous. I personally liked it for 70% of the time because of the hype factor, because it was easy to cast, easy to watch, and easy to break down. But yeah, I do agree with everyone that, you know, a year is still too long of anything, really.
no matter was how it fun it was to play. <laughs> was it really actually hyped to see not only the same ultimates, but also just sustainability? Like, no, like Custa kind of, I think, alluded to it. Nobody would die. Like, no, like yeah. you would go in and just nobody, you would have the Brig ult, then Lucio, then Transcendence. And by that point, Brig was probably already halfway to another ultimate, another Brig. It's just, like, I don't know as terms of a caster's perspective of how exciting it could be. I mean, you obviously cast it a lot. So, <laughs> you, like, you, like your your word is obviously, like, true. But it's, it's just wild to think that goats could be exciting given the comp. And just, it was just really the sustainability that was just so rough. There was like a lot of micro interactions that made it kind of hype. Like if a grab was thrown, did the diva eat it? Does she have yeah, okay. matrix? Does she have self-destruct? And it's like, once you got into like the little micro things, I found it interesting because there were some differences between a good goats team and not. And then, like I said, when the Ana was thrown in, I think that some teams picked up the Ana as one of the supports. And then that kind of helped speed some fights along with the bio grenade kind of stopping some of the sustain. But I just like brawl and that was one of the like funnest brawls but like i said like just any meta that's lasting like a year is just gonna be trash to eventually cast just saying the same thing over and over it does get monotonous but it, yeah. it's funny that you say that from like a caster's perspective but yeah. also like if you look at it from a tank main's perspective they probably love goats supports they probably love goats uh, dps <laughs> Custer shaking. I, we, like, I mean, <laughs> obviously, other like I can't speak on like support and tanks, but DPS players hated it because they couldn't kill anything and they weren't welcomed. Like, it's like, what are you doing picking Genji, picking Soldier? Even when May was picked, it's like, yeah, like it it could work, but hey, that that Zarya, like you, know, you should pick that Zarya instead. Playing you know, it like, sucks. I mean, I yeah. was in SBB pugs. Maybe I think I we played like some goats like custom and i played diva and i was like oh my god i hate playing diva and goats this is horrendous you can't like flag or do anything you can't like really extend and finish off kills because there's three supports and just so i can imagine playing it just being horrendous in terms of like having any freedom to do anything but hug your friends on your team which is nice a very wholesome approach i'm i'm i'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm... I'm letting Custer just stew and, you know, rub yeah. his hands and get ready to, you know, <laughs> yeah, end this whole yeah. man's I'm career. I'm interested to hear, like, from a pro and support player's perspective of of all this. It's really hear interesting hearing both your perspectives of, like, a caster and also someone who's, like, competitive but also not at the highest level, right? So, like, it's interesting hearing your takes. Personally, like... I completely agree. What if goats had been lasted for six months? I think every a lot of people would look back and be like, "This was a really interesting time of the game." But the fact that it lasted because it was about the 2018 World Cup was like the first rumblings that everyone's just going to start playing goats, and then we got to 2019 and we played it for three stages. It really like it really jades a lot of people. The frustrations that I have with goats is like, you know, you, you get the fans who are like, oh, yes, I love goats. It was the most smart time of Overwatch that we've ever played. Yes. Hey, hey why, why are these fans British? What's up with this? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just thinking of Sideshow in my mind. It, was, it all came out. Um, but it's like, it's yes, it was the most complex and the most uh, lucrative way the game was played ever like it got broken down everyone was fighting for that extra one percent of value everyone was playing the same thing so everyone like everyone's value was amplified over and over and over again which was really interesting and was really cool the thing that people like seem to forget and i went through this like trip recently of like 
When I watched Shock vs. Vancouver Titans, yeah, that was some great Overwatch. There was some great moments. There was hype times. I also watched Washington Justice face the London Spitfire, and it was like it, I, if I would rather just like slam my head on the desk over and over again rather than watch that because Bad Goats was really unfun. And I think when you look at the community and the game as a whole, that is when we lost the most amount of players because it was just awful. If first of all, if you didn't play Goats and you played against Goats, you almost instantaneously Rust. lost the game. It, there wasn't counterplay. There wasn't these things. The the composition of Goats at the base level was very easy to play. Just stick around to six people and just walk at the opposition and it was very hard to deal with. But then once you like, if so then even once you mirrored goats, it wasn't a really a fun experience unless you were playing at a competitive level and you were scrimming and you had a great six players to play with and you were learning from that. I feel like a lot of people just like, you, all of a sudden your Reinhardt pins into the opposition and you, he just dies. It's like, well, that's not how you play goats. And it was just very <laughs> unfun to play in those situations. And like DPS players just wanted to stop playing the game. All of a sudden your Brig switches to Widow and you're like, well, we just lost the game again. There's so many negative interactions that I think a lot of people forget about this time. And they just remember the great times of the Shock vs. Vancouver Titans. As I said, goats was cool as a player. I... Obviously, my personal career didn't do great in GOATS, but I still had fun playing, and I think it was a really interesting time just sort of breaking down and learning from the game and learning from other players. But it is still a massive black spot in Overwatch 1 history that I think too many people look through with rose-colored glasses. Yes. There's, like, there's a reason why Roll Queue came out. Like, there's a, there's a good reason why, yeah. and there's a good reason why a lot of people left during this time. But, like, it makes me also wonder, like, what's the better kind of meta? Like, a singular meta hero, like Mercy in the Moth meta, or a six- or seven-person meta? Like, like I, I like I think of GOATS, and it's like, I hate that. I'd rather just have one person be meta, and then everyone else can be free to play whoever, you know? <laughs> then 11 people can be mad at that one thing. It's like, you! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's so fascinating. I, you know, I really do want to pause, because I think... This is such an interesting topic. I think we could probably have an entire podcast on goats and its effect itself. I think there's so many nuances to what makes it so so singularly fascinating. And I think one of the things you guys touched on is that kind of discrepancy between pro play, pro level and the average player, because I think a lot of people and I think one uh, one interesting thing why people remember it so fondly might just be survivors bias, right? Because the people who didn't like goats left and never came back is my guess. <laughs> so the people yeah, who stuck around true. are the people who clearly enjoyed goats at least enough that they didn't bugger off and you know are still here to this day so i wonder if that's part of it nostalgia like you said is another part of it but speaking just on a on a regular ladder level i never really saw people play goats in my ladder games which is the, one of the most fascinating things right i could never i don't know if this is an eu diff i don't know what it was like in na i don't know what it was like in other regions i could never convince people to play <laughs> goats and back then i was i was actually still in gm back then so i could never convince people to lock goats, like I would beg them, but that again, maybe it's the case that there's too many DPS players in ladder, and they didn't want to, you know, lock three tanks and three supports. But I'd be like, please, guys, it's a, it's a win. We we'll just clump up and we'll push. It's, it's a win, and people just never did it. And yet, at the pro level, it was so dominant. Um, so I guess just, maybe. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was I gonna guess... say from a ladder perspective. I guess maybe it just came down to like just Brig being so powerful too. Like once you saw Brig, it's like okay, well maybe we should play maybe three tanks, and then it just slow it slowly turned into goats. And I remember even my rank games, a lot of it being determined based on goats, uh, and and just it slowly trans it transforming into three three, and uh, it just uh, overall it just wasn't fun. And uh, I saw it a lot in my rank games. 
was a, a fun like when sombra goats was like a thing i don't know if this ever went to overall i was kind of only in my contenders bubble at the time but it was actually kind of cool to just see like this somber player versus this somber player and then all the supports like how are they able to alt track the emp and are they able to hide from the emp and it just like all the variations of goats that came in also added like a fun extra layer like are they going for goats are they going for may goats are they going for somber goats and then the way you play around somber goats had more layers to it so honestly maybe i was just begging for any kind of variation or any kind of <laughs> ingenuity around it but no, I do yeah, think it's I a miss, really good I point. miss the metas that are easy to watch, you know? Yeah. No, I think it's a really good point because I think that's one, another area of fascination that I would love to kind of dwell on as well is at the start, it was it was very samey, right? It was just like these six characters over and over and over but right towards the end, which is kind of funny because it's just as they started to vary, just as we started to see Sombra goats and Ana goats and even Bap goats came in for a little bit of time as well, it, it became fascinating because in a way, we kind of accepted that this was how Overwatch was played. In many ways, Overwatch has never had one singular thing, right? Like, Overwatch changes so drastically from meta to meta based on, like you said, Zach, like, if one thing is suddenly broken, like, hide-and-seek mercy is a completely different way of playing Overwatch yeah. than what GOATS was, and then completely different to what Double Shield is, and completely different again to what Dive is, and completely different again to what Poke is, right? If you compare it to, like, a MOBA game, a MOBA game is roughly the same game no matter what six heroes or five heroes you pick, right? The, the mechanics of the game work the same way. Whereas Overwatch has varied very drastically based on what heroes are strong and not. Whereas Ghost is like this one period of time where we disagree that this is this is Overwatch now, at least at the pro level. Or this is this is it. You pick like six to seven characters and you kind of death ball and you run at each other. And that's when we really started to see people trying to pick out these nuances of like, if we add an Ana and we can get a nade off, that's like an insta fight win. But then they've got a D.Va. And if she eats it, then our Ana is completely like a dead weight. Why wouldn't we just have a Zen anyways, which has Discord permanent value? So like, it was very fascinating in a way that we were seeing this sort of chess match iteration on this comp that was so dominant for a while. But yeah, like I, you said, go ahead, Costa. No, like I, I just wanted to like reinforce your point. Like, I think that's, that's a really good point of like, it was like, this is the way it is. We can tweak some things here and there, but like, this is this is how it is and i think one of the big frustrations from the higher competitive teams is that if you weren't good at goats what do you do like i, I like i remember <laughs> like I, yeah you you just lose and that was the reality for a bunch of these teams in the overwatch league of like i have a really vivid memory of like stage two we're going up against the chengdu hunters and we were really nervous of like what are they gonna do like are they gonna <laughs> throw far at us they're gonna throw wrecking ball all that kind of stuff and i remember we get their starting roster and they're playing Karyon, who was their Reinhardt main tank when they played Goats. And we like instantly in that moment is like, we're a better Goats team than Chengdu Hunters. We just won the game. Doesn't even matter. I don't even care what's about to happen in the lobby. We know we're better than them. We're going to beat them. And that's how it was when we played against the San Francisco Shock in that stage. I think it was stage two finals of like, well, we lost. Like it, it was like we tried everything. We tried variations in that game. We tried playing Moria Goats. We tried playing Bap Goats. We tried playing Sombra Goats. We tried playing regular Goats. They were just a better Goats team than us. And there was very little individual pop-up potential that would be able to heavily offset that. And that is something that I think Goats heavily missed is that players could be dominant, but you needed to be consistently dominant 
rather than just having your widow get four kills or one of your like supports just pops off randomly and gets a couple of kills. That is what the game of goats missed. And that's why a lot of people really didn't enjoy watching it because the hype moments came from massive macro decisions that happened over multiple decisions of like the 3k diva bomb out of the grab was a result of they forced the transcendence early and then the beat had to come out to cover the, uh, the graviton. And then all of a sudden the Lucio gets a great boop and that results in the 3k. That's very hard for a casual viewer to digest and understand and also to be explained um, from a casting perspective. I'm sure Lemon Kiwi can sort of like hit on that more than I could. (laughs) And there was even like the decision of do you beat engage too? Because I remember a bunch of analysts came out at the time of like, is it better to beat engage or to save beat to counter grab? Because like, do you take the early fight initiative or like whatever? And there were so many like little decisions that teams had to make and everyone had their own style. But speaking of that style, I think it forced like, the difference between a good Rhine and a bad Rhine. Like if you had one team who just had that mediocre ass Rhine, it like really <laughs> made or break, make or break um, that GOATS team. But then it was like after GOATS where all the Rhines had to be aggressive and just brain dead, just run in W key, do whatever. Cause you had three supports and you needed to be that aggressive in GOATS, you know, a measured approach, but still aggressive. But when GOATS went away, then you had all these Reinhardts who were used to GOATS going in like i'm thinking of like gig or just other reinhardts that at the time in contenders that just needed so much resources because i think they were so used to goats and having a very aggressive style from goats that when it came to not goats or 222 or whatever you had a lot of feedy ass rinds and contenders of just (laughs) going a little too deep and not really putting up that shield too much so i think it was a big wake-up call and a lot of i know reinhardts uh struggled and kind of got kicked from teams from just kind of beaten a little too too difficult to play with you know going a little bit too bumper one might say <laughs> zach any any sort of thoughts on that as well what, what lemon just spoke about i mean i i, I know you're not just just not a fan you, no no i and uh <laughs> no though, like it's good points like i mean it's very like i mean overwatch is hard to it's a, one of the hardest esports to watch but in goats it is very it's kind of a little bit more easier because you don't have tracers flankings you don't have ferris flying and whatnot uh, but I think just from a viewer's perspective, I think one interesting part about esports and Overwatch specifically is that it's always changing. Like every single season, it's different. Where we saw Genji, or we where we see Bastion, or whatever the case may be. So to have a time period where it was just the same um, from from a viewer's perspective, it's like okay, well, I don't. I, I've seen this a million times. Like I don't want to watch this. Like I can turn on uh, Overwatch League at any time. I'll see the same six, seven heroes, and it just. It was just not a very fun time to not see any variation, just plain and simple. And I know, like, there can be analytical and lots of fun nuances of it. Uh, but from just a casual perspective, I see the same six years. I don't want to watch that, you know. 100%. I think there's one thing that most Overwatch fans can agree on. It's like meta staleness is just not yeah. something they want. And I think uh, one another vivid example that I have, like Custer had, was the, the Houston Outlaws fiasco, as I will dub it, in the whole uh, GOATS. Yeah. Goats meta, and for those who don't maybe remember, there was this whole Houston Outlaws have always been a very popular Overwatch League team, and that means they have very vocal Western fans. And there was this period where they were running during Goats, they were running like a Sombra-based comp, I think it was, and they were finding moderate success against some of the lesser teams. Let's put it, you know, that way. And I think they were having a game against the San Francisco Shock. I think this is where the controversy came. It was one of the better teams. I can't remember exact details, but they were running a game against one of the better teams, and they decided to just mirror the Goats. Um, and afterwards, oh, they they all they lost badly. And afterwards, their fans just chastised them all over social media. Why didn't you guys run the Sombra? 
clearly you guys can run Sombra. Why not try it? I mean, you've been trying goats and failing. Why not try the Sombra? <laughs> and this was like a big thing because I remember a couple of the Houston Outlaws players came out and they were like, you guys are clueless in, in more polite. Some of them more politely, some of them less politely. <laughs> you guys are clueless. You don't know what you're talking about. We have to mirror the goats or we will lose. It's just not possible. You guys are talking out of your behinds. And I think that was kind of the nail in the coffin of like, you know, it's just, just how it is. Like this yeah. is Overwatch. <laughs> well, like, we just it's can't like, not do it. These these fan. I speaking from a player who's like been on teams that have gone catastrophically, like the Dallas Fuel. Like people love to armchair, you know, analysts and be like, "Oh, I, we saw you have this success." Like the real answer of that is that Sombra Goats didn't work against the San Francisco Shock because they knew how to play the Baptiste Goats and they were the best team in the world at dealing with it. The Houston Outlaws recognize that and they know that they can't take it to them. They have a better shot of just trying to mirror and hope something goes right for them. But then that chastisement, as you said, of the fans, it becomes like very difficult. And because of how long Goats Meta lasted, there were a lot of people who were like, oh yes, I've sold Goats. Let me, <laughs> let me fix all your problems for you real quick. You should play May. And it's like, but they don't understand the interactions and you need to remember that Overwatch League teams, they were pending at least four to six hours a day, every day of playing GOATs and having multiple discussions, review sessions, playing against the best teams in the world, against all the teams in the world. Everyone knew where they, what the pecking order was for GOATs and understanding of what would work and what was the best kind of adjustments. And that's why, you know, as you said, a team that's struggling to have success with GOATs, it's very hard when you hear fans being very vocal and negative towards your player. Well, eventually, after much outcry, Blizzard stepped in and with a very dra- I mean, they tried, again, this is the power creep era. They tried a lot of small changes, by the way, guys. You know, for those who weren't around, lots of little things got tweaked, which eventually bit us in the ass when Rolluck comes in. But things like, you know, Reaper buffs, May multi-freeze, Orisa buffs, like all of these things came as, an, as an, a potential answer to GOATS. Never did. But then 222 comes out. We introduce Rolluck. And thus is born the next trigger point of the community, Double Shield. So, uh, who wants to take Double Shield first? Anyone really psyched to, to talk about Double Shield? And I, I So, I actually, I know I'm probably with the minority here of liking it, but it's just oh, because no, I'm don't biased. Say it. It. Zach, don't say you like Double Shield. <laughs> so, Double Shield, if I remember correctly, it was Sigma Orisa May Reaper. Was it not? Like, was that the meta? Like so was Doom Reaper as well. Doom Reaper, yeah, as well. Okay, so I remember it being May Reaper, and like I got a shrine of May right there. May's my favorite <laughs> hero. I got I got to GM in the open Q beta, and it's just because May was very effective. This was at a time, and like I'm biased. Like I 100, I admit I'm biased towards it. I liked it because of the May, but I'm sure that's why a lot of people also like goats because they like they they play tank and whatnot, and um. But it was also fun just because we got DPS. Whether you liked it or not, we got DPS back in the game and you had to play it. So even if you didn't want to play Reaper May or Reaper Doomfist, you can still play your DPS because somebody has to play DPS now. So that's why I like it. But I understand. But I also hate Double Shield later on because I'm just shooting blue shields. I'm not getting kills. And that was always the funnest part about Overwatch was getting kills. Not even shooting the tanks anymore. You don't have to and I was also good at, and I was also good at Arissa too, and that's also how I got to GM was with Arissa, and and uh, she was finally good, but because of like Sigma getting added, and along with like Rolock. so that's just I know I'm biased, and my opinion is probably not of the majority, and other people can have more 
more stable opinions on Double Shield than me. No, no I, I, I just wanted to emphasize, don't apologize. And, you know, as much as we all want to be objective, we've all, we're all players too. So at the end of the day, when our main gets yeah. nerfed, we mauled. When, you know, when we can play hide and seek mercy and res five people, we love it. So it's all, uh, you know, it's all in the yeah. by and by. Lemon, what, what was your kind of opinion when, you know, when Roblox comes in and you see, start to see the Sigma introduction as well? Um, for double shield, I think it depends how it's played. I think like dumb teams or just like boring teams, just like stack it back to back. But what I liked about Double Shield, at least if if I did like Double Shield at some point, is when the Sigma would take an off angle and then bring some kind of like range DPS with them. She had like a Sigma Brig and Hanzo at one angle and then like Arissa at the other. Um, I think that created some interesting pushes and some interesting just fight dynamics of, okay, which part of which shield setup do you want to push? Because then you would have these 3-3 three, three splits and then the the six stack, the other team would then could six v three one of the things, and then it forced kind of these decisions. And I thought like if they're if the double shield were split, it was fun. But then it also depend on like what DPS were being run, because then if it if it was double shield, double sniper, then that was really monotonous. Because then you're just sitting there hoping the the snipers are gonna an angle and the and the tanks aren't doing anything because they're just shooting each other at a distance. <laughs> then there's the double shield bastion where that was absolutely horrible because as a caster, there's only so many ways I can say bastion is shooting a shield, bastion is shooting people, bastion is shooting a shield. And it was so awful because it was basically like, how good were you at shield management? And I'm in the metal ranks and it's not that horrible to do at like any level to just have some brain cell to LOS and then that. But then, so Bastion just shredding shields in 0.5, which is really boring. So it really depends for double shield. I know this was a longer answer, but it depends what DPS were being used and how the shields are being set up. I liked it when I was split. I don't like it when it's stacked. Custa, what was your yeah. personal kind of, yeah, when, you know, because you were there, you hear the roadlock is coming in. Some of you guys leaked it, but <laughs> what was your, you know? Yeah, that, was, this, was this your I, last season in the Overwatch League, Custa? Yes, yeah, so this was my last season in the Overwatch League, and it was actually interesting because I was like, I knew I was going to retire. About halfway through 2019, I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to retire at the end of this year. But there was this really interesting transition of, like, people always, like, like to look at back at the goats era and be like oh you know people were starting to work out in stage three like how to beat goats the reality is that wasn't true what happened is at the beginning of stage three the blizzard they they went and had people talk to every single team and they were like do you think 222 should be implemented all that kind of stuff and they actually told all the teams at the end of stage three 222 is coming into the game so a lot of people I were just like that. screw learning goats we're just going to go all in on trying to be as good as we can and get as many wins as we can um, that's why there was so much chaos in that stage, but I actually forgot because I didn't really watch. I don't remember the playoffs of, um, of 2019 season, but it was double shield, but it was a very weird style of double shield. It was like Lucio Moira double shield Reaper do. And it created this like kind of like pseudo goats. It was kind of like, everyone was like, oh, goats is so strong. Let's just find the thing that replicates that the most. And that's what this ended up being. And it actually was like the same level of boring, if not worse, because it didn't have as many cool tank interactions because the DPS was just like, does the Doomfist or Reaper kill anyone? Um, so I really didn't like this uh, part, especially on top of what Lemon Kiwi said of like, I watched 
recently, a Bastion with an Arissa shield in front of them and a Sigma shield behind them on the top of Horizon Lunar Colony and watching the poor team try and run up those stairs, but then they get pulled and someone dies, so they got to wait 30 yeah. seconds. And then the <laughs> next person get, gets picked for some random reason, and then we got to wait another 30 seconds. It was a really bad time of Overwatch, especially coming out of GOATS, because that should have been the moment where everyone's like, we're free, but it really wasn't. <laughs> it, it, because of that power creep, and that's a great point, SVP, like, they buffed so many heroes to try and counter goats that when we came out of goats there were a couple of heroes that were just like way overtuned for these kind of situations and it took them a while to pull back on that so i prefer this double shield then to like the current double shield which is kind of like baptist zen double shield double sniper where as lemon kiwi said is a support in a tank you're just sort of standing there shooting shields and then hoping something dies at some point something or somewhere. Happens. yeah something happens <laughs> at some point I, it's not going to be me who does anything maybe i'll die but you know i'm not going to be able to do anything and i think that's the negative part of double shield and why so many people like to think like oh maybe 222 was bad for the game just because of double shield yeah i think there's one of these like consequences that again the ramifications of pro play is that pro players tend to find or like things that are comfortable in that sense right if they've been grinding goats for a year when goats is removed, they're like, like you said, what can we find that's like kind of like goats, and and we can yeah. we can continue the same principles. And I think we kind of see this a lot when meta shift, at least from my POV. Again, I'm not a pro player, so maybe you you know, Custa, you you have a close interaction, you'd have a different take, and maybe Lemon and Zach, you guys have a different take. But mm -hmm. it feels like when one meta dies, pros try to find like what's the yeah. closest kind of way we can play that's kind of like that. And I think this was it. Where again, so much context we have to remember. This is back when Orisa had the Giga Shield and Giga Halt. So, you know, and I remember the, the reason they picked Reaper and Doomfist because they were like things that could go through the shields, right? The Doomfist would just punch. They'd wait for the Halt. The yeah. Halt would come in. The Doomfist would just punch the Halt. The Reaper would TP into the back line. He'd try and kill something, then Wraith out. And then the Mora yeah. Coalescence was the only way you could actually go through the shield. So it was like all based around circumventing these fat shields. So like you said, what should have been a moment for DPS mains like Zack to rejoice and say, finally, I can go get kills again. It was just... Well, actually, no, just these these things in front of us. But there's one thing I want to mention in this. This was the pulled pork meta, which some of you might remember, which is oh that God. as a consequence that, that was of a funny, man. as a consequence of the Arisa Holt being much bigger than it is now, you could hold people over the top of an Arisa shield and then uh, yoink them with a hog hook, and that was just a free pick on you know the eight second cooldown whatever it was. And Zach, you loved it seemingly. Well, I mean, like it was just a, f a funny, goofy meta, but it also was just a BS meta. Like, I don't have too many opinions about it because I don't think this lived for that long, if I do remember. Because I think they start, this is when they started really nerf, like, Orisa, like, with her shield and then uh, her pull and whatnot. But I, it was just goofy fun. And But it was, but again, it was just, I mean, it was so easy. And then you had to wait for the Orisa hall. I mean, Fortify, just, I don't have much opinions about it other than just it was goofy. Lemon? Yeah, I hated it viewing and casting wise because anything that is pick based so any double sniper or halt hook kind of plays in that same how the energy level goes where it's like uh, uh, uh. Mm -hmm. and it because it's like the halt and the hook misses or halt up uh, misses the timing or halt and oh there's a shield there and oh uh, uh, it's a fortify and it was like this uh, you're just being edged like the whole time and then you're oh there's a hole uh, and nothing's happening 
And then you would have that hook. And it's like, okay, shit's hitting the fan. The whole, the, the hook worked. Okay. You got your pick. Now let's start running at them or something's going to happen. But it's just that like tease that you get where both teams are looking at each other, spraying their shields down, whatever, waiting six seconds or whatever the fuck for the halt to be online and the hook to sync up. And then you're just waiting for the first pick. And as a caster, it's like, especially as play by play, I always have to like, just be on the edge of, is it going to happen or not? And I don't like, and it was just, at least at the contenders level too, it, what the execution wasn't perfect. So you're just kind of bored and like, it could be hundred percent hype, could be amazing, or it could be 0% hype and nothing happening. And I don't, I really didn't like that. Just any pick meta, which that was part of it. Custa. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with what they said. Like it, it, Arissa hog like the pulled pork it's i don't think it's ever been like a hard hard meta but it's just always existed ever since Arissa has been in the game like there's there's always been that moment and as you said it's like it's my biggest frustrations with any meta of any situation is when the interactions of very few heroes are the things that determine the success of a team, right? So your two tanks, if you were playing on a pull pork meta, you're playing Arisa Hog versus Arisa Hog. If your hog just keeps getting pulled every time, it's like, I can't help you in any way to stop that from happening. And then we also can't counter that. So it's like, it feels like you just have no control and the the sad reality of these like heavy pulled pork metas was that it wasn't like oh you get one hook pull and then you're like oh then they run into the opposition team wheel press ult it's like no they get the one pull hook and then they take a little bit of space and then they wait eight seconds and then they pull pull again <laughs> and then they walk forward a little bit and they pull pull again and that's just like the never-ending cycle of like it just dominates it but it's just i think it's because in that meta there were no interesting ultimates as well like you had like usually had a widow with it you have orissa hog which are damage ones but don't really have like team fight implications and i felt that was like consistent it never really felt like you were getting these big moments and these hype moments from those uh from that meta so not a, yeah. not a very interesting one for me no and actually speaking of pick base i just realized looking back at the list that there was one very key meta i missed mentioning i think custer will have fond memories of the moth mercy meta. i was gonna so bring it up actually we later, spoke yeah. about <laughs> you know the five man res and in, in, in my you know in my repressed memories, I forgot for a second that when they removed the five-man res, they gave Mercy Valkyrie again. For those of you who weren't around, when they first rejigged Valkyrie, essentially they gave Mercy her resurrect on a cooldown. It was instant back then. And uh, she eventually, see, since she got like a reset, like a, alt, uh, a res reset when uh, she got Valkyrie. So she would res, press Valkyrie, get res again, and it would speed up, if I remember correctly, the cooldown of her next res. So it was like, you could get something like 10 four seconds, I think. Yeah, yeah I, something I, like. I, it... Go ahead, Zach. Sorry, I, I don't want to interrupt you. I'm so sorry, but mm -hmm. I remember this vividly, like, because this is when like my YouTube channel was finally coming to fruition, and I was covering like all kinds of changes. And that was, yeah, it was not only just broken, but also I remember on the PTR, Mercy being the best DPS hero. You would nano the Mercy, you would activate your Valk, and you would just go and shoot because you had infinite ammo, and you were just you just were unkillable. So, but then they changed the damage portion. But like you said before, I interrupt you. I apologize for that. Yeah, you would just oh, you you would res, activate your ultimate, and then res again instantaneous. So it's almost as if it was like a mini uh five man res but just still like you know just a little less powerful it, w it was like we went to 9v9 highland all of a sudden <laughs> like that, that's what it felt like because the it, what this essentially allowed you to do is get three resurrections within 10 seconds every time you popped back but then on top of that i think you could res someone every 30 seconds so picks became 
almost irrelevant in a way. And when it first came in, people didn't really understand the power of it. Like in stage one, it wasn't really played. That. So we're going into uh, 2018 Overwatch League uh, for context of where we are, because at the beginning in stage one, Rumblings of Mercy were played here and there, but after that, Mercy pretty much dominated the meta. And like the reason, like obviously, it was very good for me. This is really how I made my name as a player, and like the success that we had with the Los Angeles Valiant of like I got traded to the Valiant halfway through the season, and Mercy was just a must pick. You played Mercy for the rest of that season because of how strong those reses are. Um, it got nerfed a little bit down the line. Uh, of that season and more in line with where mercy is now but at the beginning is like you would just instantly double res and it just became this massive like almost pick meta where because you couldn't kill everyone at once it became of like you were just trying to kill everyone nine times and you know there was just constant res and that kind of stuff and also the mercy dying was like the worst thing that could happen in the game if your mercy died the fight was over uh, because of how much healing she did back then as well. So Moth Meta was <laughs> another case, and I hope Blizzard learns from this mistake. And I think this is something that I can actually roll put into 2-2-2, is that it felt like Blizzard in historic times, they felt like they had to massively put power into these heroes to get them to be played, because, but the, it was impossible to understand how the interactions of buffing one hero would have an adverse effect across everything else and that's what brig did brig was introduced into the game to counter dive to stop these winston traces from just running amok all the time and mm. always playing dive what they didn't anticipate was that if you then pair that brig with two other healers and three tanks it becomes massively oppressive so 222 stop allows blizzard to balance their game more aggressively and sort of deal with power creep without just making heroes redundant or overpowered. And I think that's something that, you know, obviously we lost a lot of ingenuity with 222, but I think it just makes the game balanceable. And a lot of people say, Blizzard, just balance your game. I think it was impossible. Until 222 came into this game, it was impossible. And as much as we talk about how much we hate the metas right now and that the game has been very stale because we haven't got new heroes, this is the best balance we've ever had in the game of Overwatch yeah. by a large shot. There is not a character that I can point to in the game right now and be like, this character is so overpowered that if you don't play them, you lose. And that is a really good thing. Obviously, nothing's changed in two years, which sucks, but, <laughs> you know, at least we have balance. Yeah, it's like a pick your poison. That's yeah. a bittersweet of not adding any new characters that we get closer to the zero point of like, okay, like, yeah, maybe Batista is better than Lucio, but it's not by a wide margin, like where it's like Batista is broken where we got to nerf him just so that Lucio can be playable. So it's, those are just good points to bring up that like right now it might not be good for other reasons, but playable wise, you can still pick your favorite hero and you won't be totally like shunned if you're, if you're not doing good you're probably just not good just in general then if you're <laughs> it's not because of your pick yeah and i think it's a, it's a very mm -hmm. important point like like you said custa i think this is another argument for why we're going 5v5 you know removing the i, I can i think in most or in a significant number of overwatch metas tank pairings have broken things especially post 222 right whether it's like double shield pulled pork double bubble there's a reason why a lot of these metas are defined by the two tanks that that spearhead them and obviously, you know, I know there will be someone with a facetious argument like, well, just make it one on one, then make it real balance, just remove everything. But, you know, but, you know, within reason, I think uh, it should allow Blizzard to, to sort of find that middle ground. And again, it's like pick your poison. If you want new heroes, then they will break games as we've kind of spoken about all these fever dream changes. But um, if you want staleness, then you will get a balanced meta, but boredom. Now, Lemon, what did you make of the Moth Mercy meta? What was that like for you? 
as a support main at heart. Same, same shit. Just anytime I'm trying to hype up an amazing place someone did, I have to hold my breath and be like, where's the fucking mercy? You know, and it's just, <laughs> it's just even, I mean, even now, I mean, that's still true, but at least now it's a lot easier to punish a mercy because of like, you know, how long it takes her to fucking anime and the cooldown is super long. So it's like, even if they do get a res, it's like, I don't know, it's infinity and beyond long. So uh, at least if there was a res, it wasn't like the end of the world. And back then it was, you can't ever get truly excited about a fight because of mercy and now that we're gone away from that it's it's a lot i can be a more genuine that when a fight is over it, it truly is over you know for sure yeah i think i think that's an important point as well because you don't want things to invalidate and this is why people you know sometimes complain about immortality is like well you don't want a thing that invalidates all the hard work someone did to set this thing up uh and it was the same with mass res as well so maybe something to think about with Resurrect and Mercy, but name checking something off. I just noted, I noted down, it wasn't really a hard meta, but I thought it was worth discussing Clockwork Vendetta, which is a sort of a little phenomenon that occurred for a little bit of a period of time. I think it might even have been pre-roll lock, but uh, essentially a team of one tricks. Was it, were they tier two lemon? They were tier two, right? Clockwork Vendetta? Or were they even oh, lower yeah. than that? Yeah. So do you want to elaborate? Yeah, they make contenders. Do you want to elaborate uh, on what they were and how they worked? So it was it Hog, Torb? Uh, it was in EU, and I came in a little bit later in the EU. But yeah, they had a... Yeah, the One Tricks took over contenders. I mean, not even just with Clockwork, but they came into North America as well. And I think because Overwatch League also took a lot of the talent, then you had these Open Division One Tricks who, like, squeaked into contenders. And, you know, they're good at what they do, and... Even, and I've interviewed a lot of one tricks of just like, so how do you play like Hammond one tricks, just like literally any one trick I've interviewed them and I'm like, how do you play against your counters? And it's like, well, there's always a way to play against your counters, you know, and these one it's, and it was so tough, like just more talking about covering the storylines behind one tricks because you're trying to be like these are the best players in the fucking world but they can only play one fucking hero <laughs> and, and it was so tough to try and genuinely like hype up that these are real and the best competitors and they would sometimes win tournaments i mean not even just clockwork vendetta is like a, another team uh in na that kept winning everything and it was kind of frustrating i'm not gonna lie but if you want to know what clockwork and that are playing i don't remember along along the torben roadhog stuff. it was risa <laughs> hog torb may and i don't remember the supports now but essentially for context they were just a team of one tricks cobbled together and they found a very oppressive well not oppressive but certainly a very strong comp that people struggled to deal with for a while and it created a little phenomenon i think a good example of in a way, how you know, as as frustrating it might be for Lemon to hype them up. In a way, it can be <laughs> insightful for Overwatch to have people who experiment or are hard one tricks and just by, you know, need more than desire, have to find a way to make you know their one trick work, and that can create like a fun little moment in Overwatch. I think Zach, did you kind of catch much of that era? I so I've never heard of a uh, Clockwork Vendetta, but just I guess shining light on it is like very like it's cool to hear just like how one tricks can even succeed at a at a semi pro level because you know like for a majority of us like ninety five percent of us will never compete at the highest of high ranks where meta like truly dictates like for Custa like meta truly dictates the one percent to get you the the possibility of a win so I always just say like. Listen, yes, meta can matter at, at bronze, at masters, whatnot, but what also matters is you being good with a hero. And I always tell people, if you're good with Sombra, good with Mei, good with Symmetra, yeah, they're not meta, but if you if the enemy team doesn't know how to deal with that, 
then you can win. That's what Overwatch is about. It's the better team wins, the better player wins. So just, yeah, play your Torbjorn or one trick, your Roadhog. And uh, if you're not doing good, then maybe it's time to have some diversity in your hero pool. But if you're winning games, keep playing your one trick. Like that's just like the beauty about Overwatch is that, you know, like the meta can dictate it, but if it's not relevant to you, then don't, don't switch off of what's not broken. No, yeah, it was it was tough. Um, there was a team called Avoided. That's the team I'm remembering. Who, um, <laughs> they all had their one tricks. You had Ball. Guess what? Only played Ball and was really good at it through Sombra, Brig, like you name a Ball counter. People, everyone played it. You had like was it Yazan or something who only played Far, and that's where Venom or Sigma also had his thing. Uh, not on this team, but just in that sphere of one tricks rising up in contenders. You had Sigma, aka Venom, who only played Trace and absolutely shredded everyone Yezen only played Farah, Ball only played Ball, I'm special only played Zarya and it's just like, uh, just these wacky compositions that feel like they're counterable on paper and every team tried to counter them, you know, hit scans whatever and it was like yeah, better. You know, one tricks just rose up and it really made you think like oh my god, is there not really a hard counter to some heroes if you really play them at their peak? Well, I, I think the thing for one tricks, like in general, and I think that it, it's worse than ranked because it's like, you know, I'm, I'm playing ranked these days and there's this like top 20 DPS Torb and the value that the Torb has in, in or like a one trick has is they've played against everything. They've played against their counter. They've played yeah. against these things at this level. Very few people have played against a Torb who is top 20 on Torb. They play in a different style than every other Torb you've played against in the past. And they're so much better. They understand how you deal with this interaction way better than anyone who doesn't usually play against the one trick, right? Same thing with a Bastion, same thing with a Symmetra. Like I don't really have this perfect idea of what's the hard counter. The thing is there is a hard counter. There's a reason nobody plays these heroes, but Generally, the counter to these one tricks is playing as a team, which yeah. you're right, is, can generally be the hardest thing to ever do, like, or just like switching to the right things. Um, so I think it's about understanding how to counter these things. But that is why the advantage always goes towards the one trick, because they've spent years, hours, days just perfecting this craft that other people haven't really even thought about. So that's the value of it. And that's like, you know, people are like, oh, well, how would Clockwork Vendetta do an hour? It's like, they could probably beat a team or two, but the thing is you would eventually get found out and they would eventually start losing. All it takes is one team to be like, if we play this comp, we counter it. Once everyone sees that, it's over. All of a sudden you get counted and that's going to force them to switch, which eventually doesn't work for one tricks. So it's oh. really cool to see these one tricks rise up though. <laughs> and, and I need like a true toilet bowl. Like yeah. all the one trick teams against each other, it'd be great. And I can speak on behalf of, like I'm not like a top 500 consistent May player, but like May's like the my one trick hero. And you don't really like unless you're in an like, organized team, you don't see a lot of Mays. So not only do you not have a hero that you typically counter on the enemy team, you also have a frustrating hero that you're going against, and you get that a lot with like Torbjorn's like never play against Torbjorn and getting frustrated and that like throws you off your game and uh yeah, that's another advantage is that just the enemy team doesn't know how to deal with it. And it's also ranked. Like, people don't understand how different ranked is compared to contenders, but especially the Overwatch League where these people are are living with each other day in and day out, just talking about the game and, and coordinating. Yeah, there's a reason why you don't see a lot of one tricks in the Overwatch League is because they're going to get stopped because these people get the 1% of the meta um, advantage. Yeah, exactly. I think really relevant points that you guys have all made because, you know, as much as we're talking about the meta, this is the sort of anti-meta and 
this is true of all e a lot of esports as well where like you know i think of starcraft as well where responses is what we might call it is like is the name of the game right understanding how to respond to a thing <clears throat> is half the battle because if you had to make conscious decisions about overwatch all the time it'd be massively overwhelming like if, if every time you played anna and you were treating a Winston like the first time you've ever seen him. You'd be like, "Oh my God, I, I don't know, I don't know what to do." Like you know, because you understand like the matchup is so key, right? The understanding matchups is super important in Overwatch. If I'm this character, they're this character. This is how our matchup interacts. I can fight them. I can't fight them. And if you're like an yeah. Ana and you're playing a Winston, you know, okay, if he's jumping me and he doesn't have a Zarya bubble, I can sleep him. But I gotta wait until his bubble. Like, either I have to hit him in the air, or I have to wait till he drops and he lands his bubble. And, blah, 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 blah. And then suddenly a one trick comes along and he's like, I'm Torv now. What are you going to do? Are you going to sleep me? <laughs> are you going to sleep me? Yeah. <laughs> gonna exactly. me? It's not going to work. It's not going to work because actually I know how to do it. And that's just the problem of it, right? You don't understand the counter, the matchup. And you're having to make decisions on the fly that that guy understands intimately. He's like, I know what to do against Ana. And that's the thing. It, Sorry, Custer, you're trying to say something. Yeah. No, I, I, I think you bring up a really interesting point because people have like, you know, like talk to me before and they're like oh my god how did you know this interaction you must be you must understand the game so well it's like i have put thousands of hours the only way you get good at these things is if i ever have to think in the game of that winston interaction right of like when am i throwing my sleep that has to be automatic as soon as you start thinking about that moment then you're going to get overwhelmed as you said i you you the reason these players get so good and the reason they seem to do things automatically is because they've done the same situation hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times and that automation of everything is what makes them very very good and that's what puts them to that next level and that's why people are like oh how do i get better literally the best way to get better is to just keep playing the game repetition repetition understanding to the point where you can play the game almost automatically Exactly. It's and really just like any. It's just like anything in life. Like if you want to yeah. get better at basketball, shoot a hundred three free throws every <laughs> single day, and you'll get better. If you want to get better at casting, you got to cast actual games every single day. Be a pro player. You got to. You got to. There's, there's a reason why they play like six to eight hours a day. It's because well, they just got to keep practicing and practicing. And uh, yeah, that's just how you get better. It's just be in the situation a thousand times, so it's like your brain recognizes. Oh, I've done this before. I know what to do when Winston is diving me. Yeah, and to your point earlier as well, Zach, about, you know, because people come to me a lot and they ask, like, SCB, uh, what's a good pick to climb? You know, like, what's a good character to climb with? And I'm always like, whatever you like playing. <laughs> yeah, whatever yeah. you like playing, that's the one. Same Cause, here. Because, like, the, the, the thing about what we're talking about as well, and perhaps this whole discussion, it's based on a lot of optimality, right? It's based on, like, if the optimal is done with this comp, it's good. But suddenly, like, 5% less, it's garbage all of a sudden. It falls apart, right? Goats, if suddenly yeah. you're, like, like Lemon was talking about, like, if your Reinhardt just pins in, this all falls apart, and this comp now looks really bad. And it's <laughs> the same in Ranked as well, where it's like, you know, we might talk about, like, oh, if you run double shield like this, eh, is it better for me to flex on the five heroes SVB and learn all of them so to understand how each I can complement my off tank? No, man. Just play one character you oh, like. Oh, man. Yeah. Just, just, play, just play the character you like and understand how that character plays in all these situations. And then you can beat all these players rather than having to, like, play 8D chess and be like, oh, well, I was doing the right thing, but then my Reinhardt just pinned. And now, uh, you know, me playing Ana here is a bad now all of a sudden. It's like, yeah, that's the whole point. Like there, um, there's top, there's a top 500 player for every single hero, and the reason for yeah. that is because they just they mastered the hero. They understand like when it can work, when it cannot work, and they learn not to be in the situation of when it doesn't work because they just mastered, just mastered everything. And that's the best way to get better is just practice what you want to play. 
It also is frustrating when you cast those like one tricks and yeah, they're so amazing. Right. But then you're like, mm. as a caster, you're trying to justify, okay, what is the key to success for this <laughs> other team? And you're like, okay, well, they should obviously go like these counters and okay, those counters aren't working. So now you're like, okay, now it's actually about just being good at the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Isn't that the idea of esports? It's just being the, good the at the game. There. There's a bit of a skill there. <laughs> hey, caster, what should they do? I don't know. Just be better. Just get good. I don't know. Just get better. And that's like the worst type of shit you could say as a caster. Of like, I guess it's just a team diff because it's such. It's so BM too. So. Okay. Well, back to the meta rundown. You know, there's a nice little. Uh, I think important segue. But back to some of the some of the metas that, you know, we're kind of getting closer to the modern era now where, like, you know, like we said, we haven't had too many changes, which has resulted in perhaps a little bit of staleness, but also a decent amount of variation, especially like Custom pointed out. Now that we haven't had like Pro Overwatch for a while, things are starting to get a little bit weird again. Um, so first thing I'm going to name check is the Giga Ryan that appeared for a little bit of time where he had his, you know, 85 damage swings and suddenly everyone was like, mm -hmm. wait, do we play Ryan now? Is, is, is Rush the thing all of a sudden? And then, you know. Within a month, and actually, I'm in the same sentence. I'm gonna name check the Giga Genji that appeared for like two two weeks, and suddenly everyone's pulling out the Nano Blade, and you know it was it was all Genjis all over, and then they nerfed both quite promptly. So, any memories of the Giga Giga Genji Giga Ryan? Custom heading over to you. Giga first. Genji is is iconic. Summer Showdown of 2020, right? I think it was where they like. I remember seeing the buffs, and I'm like, that's heavy-handed in terms of the buffs. They they made. Genji's biggest weakness is that he can't brawl effectively. In the, it, when, when he doesn't pull the blade, he doesn't really offer as much as you could with a lot of these other characters. But then they just like buffed him like across the board and he just became super strong and Genji mains came out of the wood where they're like, you, I don't have to play Brick anymore. I can play Genji again. Oh yes. And they did it for like a four week stint and then they locked the Genjis back up because they like pretty much reverted almost every single nerf, uh, every single buff that they implemented. But it was a really interesting time. And it was like an awesome, like, I don't think anyone has a problem with those kind of buffs and nerfs, as long as it's not for a long form of time and maybe a little bit too oppressive. But like, you know, I, I was fine playing with against Genjis for a month. You know, if I had to do it for a year like Goats, I would be very upset, but that was a good time. Uh, yeah, I I'm think like, I always... Yet. I always thought Genji was just like an ult bot, and then when he got all these damage nerfs, I was like, "Wait, what? Genji's now a shield breaker? Wait, what? Genji can like?" <laughs> and it was just Genji weird wrapping shield. my caster braid around uh, Genji as a shield breaker. But yeah, not a fun time as a support, especially like a non-brig player support <laughs> where you got to just get your ass handed to you every time by Genji. I mean, you usually do against Genji because especially if you're like me and you can't shoot heads good, but um, now that he could just kill you faster, it was just not the funnest of time. But it, there was like a silver lining that, okay, now Genji is useful outside of his ult. So like that was cool to just baby hype up, you know, and you know, maybe there's an argument that he is good without his ult, but at least more so where he had more potential, especially against all the CC in the game. You just never thought, like, at least at the contenders level, which I've been casting, it's like you never really expect much out of a contenders Genji um, unless he has his ult and an Ana. So it was like, <laughs> now he had more potential, so it was nice, but not, a, not for playing. Zach, the DPS main in you, were you rejoicing or were uh. you left clicking on top of the Genji's main? <laughs> So I, I don't I don't play uh, Genji that much, but I think just to add to the conversation, I think any and this might be like a stupid take, but I think any time that a buff is given to like a popular hero like Genji or Reinhardt or Mercy, it almost like even though there's going to be a 
uh, people that hate the buff. I think anything that makes the game popular in any sense is good for the game. And whether the buff is BS or not, I think it's either way, it can be more beneficial than not. Not saying that Giga Genji or Giga Ryan was better for the game, but it, it does have some value compared to buffing like Symmetra or something, you know? <laughs> Poor Simmates. Simmates is crying. Like, let us have oh, a buff, man. Yeah. Let us have a buff. I will no, say Symmetra mains are the most vocal out of next, like, Mercy mains, you know? Like, yeah. tw like Twitter, it's always Mercy and Symmetra mains that are the most vocal. <laughs> no, and it's a, it's a good point, you know? Obviously, we don't want... To, this is the, the, the pick your poison that Custer's talking about. You know, we... If you want balance, then you won't get these little fun periods when suddenly, you know, the hero you've been dying to play is suddenly meta now and you can play him. And yeah. also there's a little bit of a psychological effect, I think, when a hero gets buffed, everyone's like, can I try this hero? And I, I remember actually that was just, that was um very explicitly Blizzard's justification. They were like, actually, Genji and Soldier are the sixth and seventh most picked heroes already. And then they were like, well, we'll, well, fine, we'll buff him anyways. We'll buff him anyways. Here you go. No. <laughs> you guys you guys don't play him enough. That's the real problem. You guys don't play these characters. <laughs> and yeah, and then they just threw in Genji. And I remember, I know because I had a lot of people come into me and they were like, this would be I'm a support player and I'm just tired of getting nano-bladed every fight. And it was like... The <laughs> hey, true. It was the yeah, duality was of Ana. It was like, with one hand, she enables the nano-blade. With one hand, she dies to it. You know, like, it was just... Yeah. Uh, just hit sleep good, you know? Like, exactly. And then people wake it up and you're still fucked, so... <laughs> true. Very true. Support mains just, you know, hearing that one deep in their hearts for a little moment. But yeah, on the Giga Ryan, by the way, because that's my, that's my guy. That felt mm -hmm. like a very clumsy buff. I, I enjoyed it, but it was like, our, our hammer guy, he struggled to beat long-range pokey thing. What we, what we do? We give hammer what guy a bigger hammer! <laughs> we give him bigger, stronger hammer! And he 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 beat them up better now, and it was it was a fun little period when it was like, whoa, I could just like destroy these dudes with this hammer, and then you know they had to take that away from us as well. So, you know, a brief little respite, and I'm sure that's how Genji mains feel, where they were like, there was a moment when I could do it, but no. If, okay, I remember Cloudy coming in into NA ranked, and just he he would he would do it with a Lucio player, and he would just instantly join the game and be like, we're playing brawl. And if you didn't play Brawl, he just got really upset about it. And he hit like rank one, I think, on NA and EU because Brawl, as we all know, especially over the last few years, is a very oppressive comp. It's kind of like GOATS in a way that like, if you're not going to play Brawl, you need to work very well as a team and coordinated effort to shut it down while it's just easy to go, I pick Ryan. I run at enemy really fast with Lucio <laughs> and then just run with their hammers. Um, so like, I, I, I'm, I'm a big disliker of Brawl. Uh, so, like, I really don't like these Giga Ryan metas. Um, but it, it, it's... I like it when it comes and goes, in a way, right? Like, it's kind of like the Nano Genji thing. Is like, I don't mind playing a little bit of Brawl, but when it feels like I've been playing Brawl for, like, three months, and if I don't play Lucio, I'm throwing the game, that's when it really starts to feel bad. It shakes, yeah, the, it shakes things up. Yeah. It's funny you mention that, because I did a video with Cloudy at the time about, like, a guide on how to play Reinhardt. And I, I remember, oh. like... It's called thought process. So the idea was that I would, I would interview really good players and I asked them like what they actually are thinking. Like we would review a game together and I, like, I'll stop and I'll be like, so why did you make this decision here? And, I, and in hindsight, trying to do that with Cloudy is like, it's quite the challenge really because Cloudy's a man <laughs> of few words. If you've ever spoken to Cloudy, he's a man of few words. Yeah. And, I, and at the start of the game, I was like, okay, Cloudy, this is, these are the two comms. Tell, tell me what you, you know, what do you approach when you see these two comms? How do you, how do you see this matchup lining up? And he's like, I don't care about comp. I only want Lucio. If I have Lucio, I play like this. If I have no Lucio, I don't play like this. And I was like, okay, well, uh, 
Thanks for that insight, Cloudy. Uh, so Lucio, good. Everything else, you don't care. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And that's how, that's how it feels when you play those games against Cloudy. Is like he he's just running in your and like the frustrating thing about it is that like as the support player on the opposition team, you're just like as a Zenyatta, I'm like really far away from him, and you're like. He's getting closer. He's getting closer. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. Just, oh, shit. <laughs> just starting to panic, and then eventually you're dead, right? And that's like, that's the frustrating thing of it. Oh, yeah. And to clarify, it was the, they gave him the Giga armor, the Giga swing, and then they gave him the extra armor, which they then took away as well. That was the, uh, that was yeah. when people were like, the 50 extra armor was like giving Cloudy, you know, Giga juice. But eventually they took the juice. One other thing I noted down here was, again, some of these are, uh, it's hard to remember that these existed, but hero pools was a thing for a long time. Again, you know, the, there was a section of the community that begged for hero bans, and instead we got this, you know, abomination monster called hero pools, where for those who missed it, uh, Blizzard would essentially rotate certain heroes out of the meta based on, initially it was like just they this, they decided it themselves. And then they, and yeah, then they let, oh, then they let cats decide. <laughs> Then they let Zoe's cat decide what would be banned and what wouldn't be, which I think is a fantastic way to balance your esports and uh, definitely, you know, speaks volumes about the competitive integrity of that bit. But yeah, what did we make of the hero pool era? Some people like it. I, I, I kind of want to speak to this because it's like I was a massive advocate for hero bands going into 2020. And I think Same. I have since gone back on that. And I've been like hero bands are a really bad idea, mainly because of seeing the effect of hero pools. I think the way hero pools were implemented in 2020 was really bad. Too fast of a rotation. Like you're doing it every two weeks. Mm. That never gives anyone any time to practice, work out what's good. It really just became chaos. And I think that was the realizing moment moment for me where I was like, if you put hero bands in the game, it's going to take, unless they like very slowly balance, it would take impossible for anyone to work out the game and it would have just been chaos. Like if every game, something random is taken out or something like it just, instead of making it competitive and like changing the structure and the strategy, it would have just become chaos. And that's what was wrong with the two week hero pools. As you said, it was random. There was no rhyme or reason. It just felt bad because all the teams just looked like they were scrambling to just get a map win i think they did a lot better job of it in 2021 where it's like every like second stage there's hero pool so it's like you have one whole stage of a certain meta and then like half of that time all the heroes are available and then the other half they took it out based on playtime. i think it was to just guarantee that certain heroes wouldn't just be played the same time again obviously in an ideal world we would never need hero pools but you know it's it's been a hard couple of years I, I definitely agree that I think I think there's a world where it could be really fun to just shake up the meta without having to do patches in that way. I think it's the execution that would have helped the teams out a lot more. Like I'm thinking like before season even starts, like, hey, like and especially the length of the hero pools too. Like, oh, if this month was this hero pool and they got it all in advance. So if you have this month or two months before the season starts, okay, like this month is this hero pool, this month is this hero pool, and then you have it all in advance. And then also make the picks or the hero pools make sense. Like don't take out two hit scans and let fire just <laughs> dominate one month like don't take out the like the only counters to like really oppressive heroes like don't let a cat decide but just have it be a little bit strategic and maybe based on playtime or something but i think more notice longer amounts of hero pools and a little bit more logic behind it although it is fun for content to have a cat or bingo ball whatever that's fine but i think with the right execution it could make for really interesting because it innovating the meta i think also separates teams there are some teams that are better at it and if they execute i think they do deserve to be they quote 
you know, masters of Overwatch. That sounds bad, but you know, the best team in Overwatch is the, the people that should adapt and innovate and and execute better at the end of the day. And I think Hero Pulse has a way of introducing that. But again, it's about the execution that would, and it's tricky. Only Norwatch is masters in Norwatch, a slur, an insult. <laughs> I know, I was like, wait, masters, wait, no. <laughs> Grandmasters. I would have you know, I'm 4.5K, actually. Thank you very much. Bitch. Zach, <laughs> we'll call me a how, did you, how did you feel about the cat banning May? That's got to tore you up, uh, man. So I, I remember it was, I think, I don't think it was the cat that banned May, but like, no, they did ban, but in the very first, like, ever seen ban may did get banned and i remember making a video specifically of my main getting banned and being upset about it but i think that's something also that people don't realize that like if this is for an, a like competitive integrity people in rank ladders don't care they want to play their may they want to play their mercy they want to play the hero so when they log on and they're not able to play for a week because their favorite hero is gone it's just like you know f this game like you know like i can't play my favorite hero but then also something that lemon brought up is that it does kind of the opposite of what the purpose of it is you i remember i don't know if it was two hit scan or three hit scan but either way there was like a soldier a cole and i want to say an ash that was banned but definitely two hit scan the meta was farah so for yeah. that week so it's like it's so rough what, dude. what the heck are we doing what's the point of this if you're gonna make a new meta and i'm kind of surprised at the overwatch league level that it wasn't faster to find the meta when you get the heroes that that are uh that are banned but it was it was an interesting way to try to counter goats and for content wise it, it was fun to wonder like okay well who's gonna get banned is my main gonna get banned like what's gonna happen but i do understand that like okay yeah league of legends can do that because they have a billion characters overwatch that's like 10 percent of the hero roster and that's a lot and uh it just maybe down the road hero bands can be a thing uh but you know it just can't work i was an advocate too for it because i saw league do it we i thought we should have just pitched the heroes like in each and every single game but it just it, it would slow down the pace of the game too to just you know pick them and whatnot I, I want to jump on that as well really quickly. Like, people say it's like, oh, well, like, people should just learn how to play other characters. That's like they do in Dota and League of Legends. It's a great point of, like, if you've played a lot of League of Legends in Dota, if there's a hero, there is about three or four that play almost exactly the same as that hero. Every character has their own unique niche, but in Overwatch, that's just not true. No one plays the game like Tracer does. No one provides the same amount of like utility that Lucio does, right? Like those heroes are so impactful and literally cover off like 30% of the metas that already exist when you just take that one hero out. And that is the problem. The hero roster is just not big enough, as Zach said. Yeah, this is funny because uh, the, the group up podcast, the bingo card always includes a mention of hero bands because I'm a big proponent of hero bands. I know my man Frito is a big proponent of hero bands as well. But I think, uh, I mean, I, I think you guys all raise very interesting points. Anyways, I'm not certainly one of those people who's like, death to all anti-hero banners. But um, <laughs> I think it's one well, of those interesting... I think, I, I don't mean to cut you off. I'm so sorry. But I think it's also due to the fact that we're not one tricks. Like, Custa can play multiple. You can play multiple. I Like, even though I like May, I'm not going to be a child about it and, and complain. <laughs> like, I'm going to play somebody else, you know? It's just like, that's just how it is if it's for the greater the good of the game. Well, this is the thing, and I think this is what I was going to raise, is that I think, uh, while we're on this tangent, I think there's a lot of things about Overwatch, like conversations about Overwatch that we haven't had in terms of what the theory behind the game is and what the actual reality is. And I think the whole diverse hero pool is, is one of these conversations, because I think, again, Overwatch has built a lot on this idea that, at its conception, it was 
pick whatever heroes you want and you know counter picking you know yeah. they pick this i'll pick that you do this that's what the game is all about and in theory it was but especially nowadays i think people like their mains and they like their mains like maybe they i think most people know maybe two to three heroes with any real competence maximum right and that's it like those are the heroes yeah. they sign up to play and as much as we talk about like meta and you know this whole thing is about meta and we talk about like you know counter picking and you need to do this that the other for the majority of people that's just irrelevant like they're just like no i play these characters that's it that's what i play overwatch for so i think that's like a conversation to be had at some point i think it would be really insightful to have that conversation with the developers maybe and just be like well you know you guys make this game about like counter picking and hero diversity but most people just play like two heroes so do we need to have like a conversation at some point because another wild idea that i'm like maybe we should just hero like we should just lock the hero at the start of the game like maybe we should just remove switching because that would make that the too. game easier to because that would make the game easier to balance as well if you didn't have to like because one of the problems is switching in the middle of the game right that creates a whole <laughs> thing but I I think that the problem with that would just be like you could lose in the lobby in the hero select yeah. scene like obviously in games like you know like let's use valorant for example like you have all these abilities and that does help you in some way but at the end of the day everyone has the same guns right while in overwatch it's like let's say we picked you know like no hit scans and nothing like that and you said they come out and fire mercy you're like see you in the next game like it's yeah. just kind <laughs> of over at that point so I, I like i really like the idea of like because I'm the same way as you. I love the idea of like switching mid game. I love the idea of diversity from game to game and solving each problem and like making it more about the problem solving. But from what I saw of these hero pools and stuff like that, it just reminded me that it's going to lead, people aren't going to do that problem solving issue and it's just going to make the game worse and people are going to force it. And like, I, can't, I don't even want to know what happens when a Torb 1 trick is all of a sudden locked away from his Torb 1 trick. And they're like, well, I'm throwing this game. I'm going sim and I don't know how to use a teleporter. Like... You know those kind of no, things. No, absolutely. And again, it could be the it could be the, the topic of another entire podcast. I won't tangent onto it as much as inside I'm burning and desperate to have this conversation because it's a it's a road I've been treading for a while and all the variations that it could come with. But sticking to on topic, unless Lemon, you have anything you want to add to the no, whole thing? No, good. Lemon's like, no, I'm out. Please, please, no. I'm out. <laughs> okay. Next on the list that I noted down was the double off tank. Again, speaking of giga buffs that we spoke about, there was that period. When the Giga buffed Hog and the Washington Justice rode that wave for quite the quite the glorious stage. So what did we make? And to be honest, as, as a tank main, it was a painful time in ladder too, when it was just Zarya Roadhog everywhere. So uh, any anyone with burning thoughts on the on the double off tank meta? I, I think it really goes back to your point uh, as we be of what we said earlier of like some people were willing to take the risk and be like let's just play Roadhog's Aya in these playoffs. Like maybe it'll, far, it'll work and see how far it gets you. And you saw a couple of teams like Washington Justice, Seoul Dynasty go very far in the playoffs because they just committed to it. There were a lot of other teams that could have played it, but decided not to and play it safe. And yeah, well, I don't know. I can't remember exactly what the Buster Hog were, but he was like, his damage just went into like orbit or something like that. And he just became almost unkillable. So it was a really interesting time. But as you said, it, it's one of those games where it's like, okay, let let the off tanks have fun for a little bit everyone else i'm sorry just you got a bad month coming for you because it was bad as a support main as well and as a main tank at that point lemon i don't even know if that really hit contenders too much or at least it was super brief if it ever did 
So I'm really not remembering even casting that. Maybe because it was it was probably like halt hook type of brief. So yeah, not really any real opinions besides you know I always like metas with Zarya. I like scaling. I like things taking time, but um, not exactly with Hog. Anything with Hog has been bad. So yeah, <laughs> true. I think everyone who doesn't play Hog can <laughs> yeah. agree with that one. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't remember anything about this meta in particular too. I think now we're just getting into the era where we're slightly buffing the damage by like one point. And nothing too drastic. Like not like reworking, giving new ultimates. Uh but yeah, no, Roadhog I'm yeah, I don't I, I, like. I, I don't know if he's meta right now. Like, I don't think he's meta right now. But I see him so much right now that I'm like, he can't be. Can he? Like, I just yeah. So I agree with you guys that anything with Hog, it's just ugh. <laughs> it's a rough time. What's meta is the priority pass farming meta. That's what that's what's True. meta right now. <laughs> locks the Roadhog because they don't want to play. Uh, you know, they just want to. They don't really want to play tank, but they have to for these passes. So yeah, yeah. no, I. Yeah, it was. I think they buffed his damage and reduced his ammo. I think if that's if I'm remembering correctly, like they yeah. gave him like I six to five or something. Like, yeah, six to five damage projectile from six to seven recovery increase point point seven to 0.85. So like nothing too drastic now. Now we're just like slightly tweaking um, the heroes to make them a little bit. Well, more. I think it's because the pellets really exponentially scale because there's a lot of pellets. So I think even that yeah. little tweak made it really impactful because you know no, it's still, you don't yeah, need... it's still impactful but you're yeah. right you're right yeah. it's like it's in the grand scheme of things you know we're, we're talking shield generators and valkyrie resets compared <laughs> to that this is nothing it's like oh we just literally one up and down but yeah when the meta is stable and stale like you know custer spoke about that's when these little changes actually do have pretty yeah. big ramifications um yeah, I know. I know there was a lot of. I think that did irreparable damage. Not gonna lie, because it it encouraged so many hog mains to come out of the woodworks. Yeah. I feel like we'd finally no. lock them away where they belong, and then one time they get buffed, they're just like, "Nah, man, the hog is great. I can get picks all day." It's even so like that, even any changes at all that happen, people go in on the ladder and just fucking want to test it out right away. So it's a buff, a nerf, whatever it is. If Roadhog is even looked at funny by the dev team, people will just auto-lock it in ranked. And I just have to always dodge that whole first week of a patch, no matter what it is, because people are going to hard-lock it, not know if it's strong. It's probably shit. And then, you know, you just get rolled. I wonder if that's something the dev should do. They should, like, say they buffed something, just not buff it. And see what happens, and see if someone like see everyone just starts. A little yeah. <laughs> oh my god, April Fools! That would be great. Uh, well, you can't do it on April Fools because everyone would know it's a, like a potential joke, right? You got to sneak it in, and then just. You oh, know, if the patch this. notes look legit, like people eat yeah. that shit up. That's what they did today with Sigma. I think they tried <laughs> to like. I don't. I didn't read the patch notes for Sigma, but he got new socks. socks. Yeah, they gave yeah. him socks. <laughs> Oh, I no. love that. That's, what oh, that's real. My oh, no, toes. <laughs> They've destroyed the unique desire for Sigma, like the one appeal yeah. of the character. They've destroyed it. Yeah, no more sex appeal now. <laughs> There's no point. <laughs> bro? <laughs> Christian bro. <laughs> Let's move on to the next meta. <laughs> yeah, should we should we dwell on that? No, okay. Um okay, so moving on, another couple of things. I think poke comps are worth talking about because that's I would say a relatively new iteration, thinking of the grand scheme of Overwatch. There was never, Poke wasn't really a thing, correct me if I'm wrong. Poke never really was a thing early Overwatch. Like you didn't sit there and poke for ages. You kind of just dove or you brawled and that's kind of it. Could you, could you explain Poke to me? Because I think I know what you mean, but could you explain it? Sure, yeah. I mean, basically you're looking at 
comps that played a lot slow, Sigma Ball, a lot of range damage, sometimes Tracer as well. And essentially, if you think about a dive comp, a dive comp is like, okay, we set up and then we jump on this thing. And I think uh, a brawl comp is like, okay, we, we get to where we want to and then we speed boost on this thing. So they're very yeah. like immediate. Whereas I think a lot of poke comps are a lot of like, they're like attritional battles, I guess, right? They're like comps based on weathering down certain resources. You're just poking, 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 poking. And then when something happens, you go. Which I suppose you could say for many comps, but I do think they're unique for the sense of like the way they're played with the Sigma Ball or sometimes variations of it. Um, so thoughts on poke? I'll, I'll take it to Custa first. I, I think it's an interesting one. Like when I think of poke, I think of like, you're playing like the Mercy Zen Ash or something like that. And you're just sort of like playing really far away enough that they can't come into you. But then you have, as you said, you have that Tracer, Ball or a Sigma all taking angles around. And as you said, you're just, it's more like you're taking map control and you're just trying to take as much space as you can. And then hoping at some point, as you said, something happens. Um, I think, I think it's a really interesting comp because I think it, um, it really incentivizes playing smart and everyone having their own role. My biggest problem about it is that it can be squashed pretty easily by like certain things, like just have them having a brig can really like ruin your ball and traces day. Or like if your Ash or the DPS that's getting hard pocketed just doesn't do anything, you just lose. So I don't think I've ever really seen it massively in Overwatch League. Like the only time you ever really see that ball tracer played is if they're going for that hard dive with like the Briggs end, right? So it's a lot more of a ranked meta, but I, I, I think it's interesting. It's a cool variation, as you said, because nothing else has ever really been played played like that because we played so much Lucio, Rush, Snipers, and all that kind of stuff. You, you probably kind of intuitively played that, Zach. So, like, in, in your latter games, how do you feel about it? So, when I heard poke, I was thinking, like, Soldier 76, a pocketed ass, just, like, poking at the... Because of the double shield, you need to destroy the shield, and that, that's the moment that I think you referred to when you, you go in, but then you brought up, like, ham and ball. It's like, okay, so maybe that's not what I'm thinking of, but what... Yeah, so when I thought of poke, I thought of those low but consistent damage to destroy the shield and then so it's just poke 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 reload poke 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 reload and, and and you have protection because you're poking from far and and back away because uh i think yeah now we're getting into the area where a lot of like dps can be played and and i'm starting to see like and i could be completely wrong here like soldier is is maybe kind of making a a name yeah. for himself he's not meta broken but soldier at least from my recollection has never really been the top picked hero so when i heard poke it's like okay is this the time when soldier is is coming into play yeah. not since yeah, it, very it's... early overwatch when uh well when <laughs> okay. akm was love and life basically yeah. there was a it's, time it's like... actually go ahead Costa. no you go you go i was gonna say just a quick reminder again we've been on many history lessons today but there was a time when diva's defense matrix was the entire length of attack visor. yeah and yeah. so there was like this whole meta where soldier was really strong because everyone was really bad right to her context, Cassidy's High Noon and Soldier's Tac Visor were like top tier, S tier ults because everyone was really bad at using natural cover. So they would pop Tac Visor and everybody <laughs> dies. And so you needed, I mean, D.Va has been like a near must pick for the first, you know, many years of Overwatch. You needed D.Va because that entire, like the DM was ridiculously obnoxious. It would eat the entire Tac Visor. And if it, she didn't have one, the Soldier would just run rampant. So yeah, not since those early days has he been a thing. Lemon, what do you feel about kind of poke? You've probably seen a lot of poke um, comps and contenders yeah. and stuff. 
I think it depends like what poke uh, comp it is. And it also, I feel like it forced out just so much double shield so that people had more safety around rotations, especially on if you're the offense, maybe more so on the defense, you had to have the double shield with your poke. I mean, I'm thinking when I think poke of like, you know, either your Cassidy, Ashes, stuff like that. Ash was really strong for like a really long time on many defenses in contenders. And that was fine because Dynamite was pretty to look at and it was Pope, but it, it was a little slow because you would just have, it, it really depends the game type too, but then you would have one team kind of sit there and they poke each other, but at least the offense had somewhere to go. So there was some movement. Um, but yeah, I think it just, Poke really forced out the double shield just for, because contenders are always going to go for the safest, less risk composition because they don't have the coaches they don't have the resources to to really dive into other metas around poke mm. or just something that is harder to execute but stronger overall so you just really had a lot of double shield poke which was usually very boring to watch mm -hmm. yeah and this is where again i think we've we've gotten to areas now where where the definition of the meta isn't so strict right and a lot of people have kind of said well yeah poke it's kind of a slightly it means a slightly different thing to me than it does to you and i think poke and, and poke is like a very broad term right ghost is very specific it's like this is the six players you play whereas like you know dive has seen many iterations you know double bubble being one of them brawl has kind of seen slight variations here or there and poke is definitely one where there's a lot of different things now I'm conscious we're running out of time because we've got commitments and I'm very grateful for the time you guys give me. So wrapping up, I want to now, having kind of touched, I think, on almost all the significant metas, I think, unless we really miss something. Now is our time to, to look back at it all and say, this is what it, this was it. This was the one. So I'm going to go in turn and ask each of you guys what you think was the best and the worst metas that we've seen. So I'm going to start with Lemon. I'm thinking... Anything brawl, but I know brawl can be very broad. So I'm thinking, like, I kind of when uh, when uh, Zach brought up the May Reaper and May Doomfist, I honestly do think that May plus some kind of bursty DPS was really fun to cast, but more towards like a Rhine Zarya type of brawl instead of the Orisa double shield. Because first, there was just always this like forward momentum, there's always some kind of movement. Um, so I really like movement. I'm in, hence my experimental patch. So anything double <laughs> shield, eh. Uh, but brawling cool. But then May added this kind of chess game mechanic where the team that could place their May wall a little bit better and just had the right split on the team that forced like really because it wasn't an automatic fight win because a lot of maps didn't like May and then you would it depends how the other team reacts. Do they break the wall? Do they jump over the wall? And May kind of had this cool chess game because then you would have a May mirror and then those kind of interactions happen. And then either the Doomfist or the Reaper was being used depending on your region or really preference. And then Reaper had a cool follow-up. Once you trap people, the Reaper would go in. Or the Doomfist would punch off the wall. And it created this like these micro interactions that I felt were kind of difficult to pull off really well so it added a level of complexity it added like an actual win condition that isn't an ultimate which i found at least you're not just waiting for ults to pop up and there were ults i mean even may provides a good ult and a good like neutral fight so just anything around brawl where there's movement and some kind of micro interaction that has some kind of difficulty to to it. So my immediate thought is like May Reaper Doomfist, like those stuff. So that was my favorite. And what would you, what do you never want to see again? 
Uh, double sniper. I don't like. I know I'm gonna hate. Everyone's gonna hate this because it's like the. It takes the most amount yeah. of skill to be able to snipe, right? And you're like, oh my god, like this widow just killed like five people, and like, but those are like the one percent moments that you wait for in double sniper. And as a caster. When you're just observing a widow, miss, 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 miss. And you're just like, you're trying so hard to not flame or trying to hype them up for this moment. And then they don't fucking hit anything or they hit a body <laughs> shot. It gets, even if they get a pig, it gets fucking rezzed. And you're just sitting there getting edged the whole time by snipers. And it's, at least I just, I guess I haven't casted at the owl level. So maybe like double sniper is way better at the owl level. But uh, at any other level, it's just so trash because it's both teams being very far away from each other. And just maybe you get uh, a pick. Maybe it gets res. Maybe it doesn't. And then most of the time, you, the observers don't even know who's going to do something. So sometimes you fucking T-tours the Widow popping off. And then you're like, ah, well, I don't know what just happened. So Double Sniper is honestly the most, like, <laughs> meh. It takes a lot of skill. And I'm very impressed when it does get pulled off. But most of the time, it, it's boring. <laughs> I think you should. I think you should. uh flame them more i think when they're missing you should be there just like yeah. who is this dog I shit have. I absolute feel bad, dog. just just like hit a shot hit a shot just that's your casting just like hit a shot oh, hit a shot challenge i have this clip i have this clip where i'm just like watching some like whatever player and i'm just like i'm ready to hype him up because he's bad because i know he's a good player and i was like i'm i'm looking at this guy and he's and he miss 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 and i had i had already prepped this statement of like i and he's <laughs> Missing shots. I had to completely rewind my sentence, and he and it, it turned into a funny moment. But it's just honestly, those are the moments that I just get blue balled, and it's just horrible. Yeah, I like how sexual your references have been edging and blue balling all the time. Yeah. You're casting. It's very, <laughs> it's very, just, very horny casting. Very horny casting. It's just, I don't know how else. To I, I'm gonna have to cut you off. On that, no, no chance to defend yourself because I'm conscious of time. <laughs> conscious of time. Custom a man. What's your best and worst metas? Uh, I have I have a soft spot for that like double Zen double tracer meta that I I talked about because that was like the entry to competitive for me and it was I was playing the Zen and Zen was fun there but I think the, my favorite meta of all time is probably Genji Anna when Anna had the speed boost because I was playing the Anna and I think. You're always playing for that big sleep moment onto the nanoblading Genji. There's so much to heal. There's so much going on. And I think the cool thing about it is that everyone was so valuable in that composition. The Lucio was all about pushing people around, keeping Anna safe. The Anna's trying to keep everyone else alive. And everyone's always moving. And I don't think there's a, a single role that can look back at that time and be like, that was a boring time. Because I feel like that happens in a lot of other metas. Like, you know, Brawl, like, I think so, like, supports can be pretty boring to play. Off tank can be a little boring to play with certain things. Like, that is my like penultimate meta. Uh, for for worst meta, I actually don't like brawl. Like I'm the opposite of lemon kiwi, but I'm gonna go <laughs> more specific with it. And any brawl that has a symmetra in it, I hate symmetra wow. brawl with a burning passion because I think it it mitigates and negates a lot of the fun interactions that happen when they clash. And if I have to see two symbols go up as nine turrets go across the walls and then all of a sudden I don't know where I am anymore and then someone just like randomly dies, that's my biggest problem with uh, with Overwatch. I think anytime it just becomes so much of a cluster that it's almost impossible to discern what's happening, those are what my worst matters. And you've you've annoyed Lemon Kiwi so much that she just tells us that her power went off. So if you're wondering why she's ah, looking down in this very pensive frame, she's like, "No, bro, get out of here, Custa." 
<laughs> no, but I, I think anytime anyone criticizes Overwatch as a visual spectacle, they always bring up the Sim Wolf screenshots yeah. where it's like just crossing each other. <laughs> okay, Zach, what about you, man? What's your favorite and what's your least favorite? So my personal favorite, just like me personally, is when uh, when Roku came in and May was finally viable because that was before she had the downfall of a bunch of nerfs, like with her wall, with her freeze, with everything. So that was like the glorious time where I personally climbed. But I think for the the best time that I don't think a lot of people complained is right around when dive was kind of at its peak like that was like somewhat coordinated overwatch a winston and and, and a diva and maybe you had a chaser and a genji and you know like those are fun characters to play i don't really hear people complain about it too much but i also do think like maybe right now i think is maybe kind of the best time because yeah you might have double shield you might have poke you might have whatever but those are all like a variety of heroes like you can't point to one single hero like yeah they're overpowered like brig or yeah reaper and, and beyblade is overpowered it's like right now it's relatively relatively balanced you know batiste is still good and, and, and whatnot and, and pharmacy is still a great one but uh I, I think right now and my personal favorite double shield was good as terms of worst meta i i, I well there goes <laughs> there goes, there goes lemon. <laughs> she hated my my double shield but i think i i think i think goats and it's less so about gameplay and more so about the the social interaction and the, and the consequences of it and so many people left and and a lot of people maybe didn't watch overwatch league because of that and so many people were turned off and and the consequences that it had because of just one single character, I think that that meta is the worst more than just how unfun it was to play. It was just because of the grand scheme of things that it hurt Overwatch a lot for years to come that we're still feeling. I mean, yeah. we're going 5v5 now, and I think it's all due to the fact that metas are so um, such an integral part, and it was part of the reason of, of GOATS, you know? No, I think that's that's pretty much true. I don't think there's many people, even GOATS fans, could deny that we did lose a lot of viewers and a lot of interest in Overwatch around that time. Of course, for many other reasons, you know, lack of content was another reason too. But yeah, well, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, you know, we we kind of obviously this is heavily personally biased, right? So we can we did I think a pretty good job of of looking at a pretty objective overall picture. But then you know it, it comes down at the end of the day to your hero pool, and you're like, well. The hero pool where my guy was completely dumpster, I hated, and you know the ones yeah. where he was good was, and that's kind of how it is for me. I think maybe I'm a, I mean, this is definitely personal bias, but my favorite eras of Overwatch were pre Roloch when uh, when there was that meta diversity, when we were looking at like yeah. Envious and Rogue and uh, the Apex yeah. tournaments in Korea. Like I really have fond memories of that time. I every day I go to night dreaming of that one clip of Taimu hooking on Dorado and. Uh, I think it's Murdering Carpe bunny. that he snipes. Yeah, it's Bunny. No, it's Bunny. He murders yeah, yeah, Bunny. It's bunny. Yeah, it's Bunny. It's <laughs> Bunny. And then I remember, yeah, like that 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 was my peak era or what. So I would, and I know it's for many valid reasons we switched away from that, but that was kind of the, that's the feel that I want in Overwatch in its ideal state when it feels like, you know, there's a lot of interesting and interesting vari variations on comps and everyone's getting to express their own individual, you know, take on the game. So who knows? I think there's a chance for 5v5 to take us that way. I think yeah. least favorite meta, for me, as a as an original main tank player, was the double off tank. I think I've <laughs> I've done I put up with a lot of like metas where I'm like, ah, oh, this isn't great. And even now it's not great as a main tank. But the double off tank meta was the one where I legit was like, I'm not playing this role anymore. And I stopped playing main tank. And yeah. now I'm now I'm a fully support player. So yeah, that nice. one. That, Welcome. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty fun. I gotta say, I, I just played it Anna. Is. I got her to GM. I was like loving life. So, yeah, I enjoy support yeah. now. I'm a support main yeah. now. And uh, I guess just my final thoughts on this whole entire thing. I guess makes you wonder, like, well, what what do you like better? Time periods right now where it's a lot more balanced, or times where things are in chaos, but it adds variety. Where Bastion's meta one week, one month, and then Mercy's meta one month, and then Doomfist is. And, and I guess like at beforehand i thought getting to that balance zero point would be fun but i think living in it's like i think i'm going back on my word and i kind of like when there's chaos when there's a broken hero that we can all just complain about and <laughs> even though it's not good for the game i think it's fun for the community to like at least have something to point to like that's a problem and 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 whatnot and i know that's weird and crazy to say like why would you want broken heroes but i think it just adds variety when the game's constantly changing new heroes are getting added and i kind of miss that maybe i just miss it and i'm nostalgic yeah i think i think nostalgia plays a really big role like i don't think there's ever a consistent time in which everyone says like for me if we're talking like golden age of era like it'd be end of 2016 early 2017 the same as usvb that's like peak apex but i was like a professional player it was like i was traveling to korea it was like the best time in my opinion but there's a lot of people that like there was a lot of problems with that era of like overwatch it's just nostalgic and that's what I remember and I think that's the same for everyone and that's why like some people love more recent metas as you said even though you can point to glaring issues at these things if you found it fun you found it fun I think that's a perfect summary of of this sentiment unfortunately I don't think lemon is going to make it back in time so we'll forever we'll die with a mystery of what lemon kiwi you know would have said to any of this but um, it has been a delight to talk to you guys it's you know the hour the time has flown by I know I've got taken a lot yeah. of your time now you got to go so we're gonna have to sign off with relative promptness but thank you so much guys for your time uh guys if you're listening to this right now on twitch then exclamation mark before any of these guys names will bring their socials up and later on youtube they will be in the video description so make sure you check them out any final words guys before we sign off uh just thanks for having me this is like my first ever podcast first ever big discussion so it, it was fun and while i might have looked at it from a more like casual viewer like just a viewer perspective rather than a competitive uh, perspective i hope i was able just to at least shine light on a perspective that we don't often get to see which is like you know just your everyday overwatch player and it was uh it was fun and uh custa a big fan of you it was awesome to be uh in a piece of content with you uh finally so uh, yeah, really appreciate it, uh, SVB, and I hope I can be brought on more uh, in, in future episodes. Yeah, no, I, I echo that. Thank you very much for having me on here. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. I love having these discussions. I love going back in time and talking about stuff because I'm just like a straight-up boomer, so it's like talking <laughs> about my glory days. Um, but no, it was it was awesome having Lemon Kiwi getting a casting, and yeah, like, Zach, yeah. it's awesome having you, like, someone who's, like, made a lot of content, who plays the game. Like, you understand the high level, but you just, like, you're playing it for fun. And I think that's what a lot of people, including myself, who like are so at the top and we're just so worried about competition, we always forget about the large majority of the player base that's just here to have a good time. So I, it, it was a lot of fun. And yeah, once again, thanks for having me on. That's a pleasure. And that's, that's kind of what I like to try and do with these podcasts is bring different perspectives. So don't apologize at all, Zach. Like, you know, that's exactly why you're here. Because, you know, there's, there's always going to be people watching who are like, yeah, but I've never experienced that. That's not my game. So... I always like to have that little diversity of opinion. That's why I love bringing YouTubers on as well. Because you know, I started YouTube, but now I spend a lot of time streaming. So I see a lot of that duality. And a lot, I think YouTubers tend to understand a little bit better the more the average player experience. Whereas a lot of streamers are really good. They're too good at the game. So they, they sometimes remove themselves from 
what the player is going through in gold. So appreciate you guys so much. I know you got to get going. So thank you very much, guys. We're going to take a quick break in this stream and we'll be back after like two minutes. But thanks to these guys and go check them out. Peace.